In a world filled with sharks, bears, and killer bees, one man is brave enough to stay indoors to bring you the latest in gaming, movie, and pop culture news. That man is Tom Awesome, and this is the Outside is Overrated podcast. Hello and welcome to Outside is Overrated, a podcast about gaming and nerd pop culture. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to be back live and in person. This is the first episode we've recorded in person for like over a year, right guys? Woo! Yeah. Screw you, COVID! <laughs> yeah, that'll burst your eardrums. <laughs> <laughs> Headphone check, you pull them away from your head a little bit. Yeah, you know, if you're still here, <coughs> thank you for surviving that. I'm your host, Tom Sidlachik, and today we are going to discuss Dragon's Dogma. We played the 2012 video game from Capcom and watched last year's anime on Netflix, and we are, well, I'll say excited to share our thoughts with you. Joining me for the discussion today are Hobbybox, Joe Burns. hey And Dr. C, Casey Helene. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show, guys. Casey, you haven't been on since the Tarantino episode in April. What have you been up to since then? Watching a lot of Blade Runner? Uh, <laughs> no, haven't watched Blade Runner for a while. I did... Finish watching the Castlevania anime on Netflix, uh, which is freaking awesome, and I would still recommend anybody who hasn't seen that to go out and watch that right away. Do you think you would have ever ever watched that show if you hadn't done that episode of Outside is Overrated with us? I probably would not have, just because I, prior to that, and still, I don't really watch a whole lot of anime, but it's honestly like one of the best shows i've ever watched not just one of the best anime shows i've ever watched i think it's just the solid writing the cast the voices everything like it, it's a really really good show best show you've ever watched did i hear that correctly <laughs> no that, that is incorrect you need to clean your ears out it is one of the best shows I've one ever of watched. the best shows he's a secret weeb folks he's a secret weeb and i know what that is now thank you brian <laughs> we want to say hey to everyone that's watching on facebook live right now including Corey and adam wilson thanks for joining us guys it's fun to have people here with us uh casey what else have you been up to uh let's see i watched through loki so which spoiler alert is just the first season of loki which isn't really a spoiler but um (gasps) also there's a season it's not just a one-off show show? (laughs) (laughs) um and and that was also a a great experience um you know tom hiddleston is just an amazing actor pulls it off phenomenally you know in all the movies and and then carries it into the series and uh it's Definitely worth a watch, too. As good as he is, and as much as I enjoy him playing Loki, I didn't think that maybe he and Loki could carry a series, but they pulled it off. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's phenomenal, and there's so many other good actors in the show, too. Um, the, and just kind of where it's branching the whole Marvel universe. Like, you can see, like, this show is actually kind of what I believe is going to tie in probably the remaining, I don't even know how many years, with... Uh, how the season ends so not i don't want to spoil anything at all but like it's it's a must watch if you're a marvel fan and plan on watching any of the rest of the marvel movies where would you rank it amongst the other marvel shows that have come out so far like how would you tier those three i loved loved wandavision like i thought that was just a complete masterpiece um loki it's like 1a 1b um just because of kind of how the season unraveled and where it where it ended um, WandaVision, I felt was kind of like the ending for me was almost the low point of it and everything else up to it was, was phenomenal. But, um, Loki was solid all the way through. And when it 
ended and like i knew there was more to come and i don't know when the next season's coming out i was like oh my god i'm so like i need more now um but yeah it was it, it's it's a phenomenal show if it doesn't give too much away is he a hero a villain an anti-hero like what kind of role is he filling because he's i mean he's essentially a villain in the marvel universe correct yeah in this show um he's loki like he he's struggling with exactly kind of what you're saying. Like, he doesn't really know where he falls anymore. So he ends up in this universe that has no timeline, basically. So he's just almost stuck in, in a limbo, and he's struggling with with his reality and what he is and who he is. And he, I think, finds that by the end of this, um, by the end of the season. And, and, and you kind of see, like... It's a massive character development for him, I think, in this. So which is the better combo, him and Owen Wilson or uh, Chris Tucker and Owen Wilson? Because wasn't Chris Tucker with Owen Wilson in one of those movies? Or was it Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson? No, that was Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker. Okay. No, there was Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson. That was, uh, was that Shanghai... Shanghai Sh- Noon? Shanghai Noon, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was that, yeah. I never saw that one, but yeah. But never, so they're like two degrees of separation, not one to one one. Okay, forget it. That's a bad question then. I apologize. Well, they may have been in a movie I just don't know about, but <laughs> the, the Owen Wilson, uh, Loki duo is, is good. Owen Wilson is, he, he plays more of a role in the in the very first couple episodes and and like he still plays a pretty big role but it, it's it's not as big as some of the other characters you're not as big as some of the other characters <laughs> that's what happens when you're minimizing a screen and get caught on a transition i, I don't know what that means uh, Casey, you have a healthy means. glow about you have you been going outside I, I have been going outside. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But you know, my brother went outside. You know what happened to him? He broke his collarbone. Oh Ooh. man! He still says outside is not overrated. Jake, you are wrong, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Can't break your collarbone playing video games. That's what I've been telling people like my entire life. <laughs> Maybe VR. That, that is that is VR is a little bit more hazardous. So there's the possibility that you could break something there. I've seen someone break their hand on on stream before playing VR. So I punched the wall playing VR. Yeah, yeah, that's what that guy like, did too. Intentionally? Yeah. No, unintentionally. Like I didn't realize my boundary was that close, and it was playing super hot, I believe. And I was like super trying to throw a star or something like that, and I threw it like straight forward, and I punched my hand straight to the wall when I did it. I was like, oh my god. And I thought I broke the controller, but yeah, thankfully I didn't. <laughs> Thank god you weren't standing in front of your TV, dude. Or, or another person, because yeah. I probably would have hurt them pretty bad, too. <laughs> were you like playing in the bathroom or what? Why were you standing right in front of a wall playing no, VR? No, I was playing in a, in a pretty large boundary. I think it was like a 10 foot by 10 foot box that I had, but and that's a game where you kind of have to move around a little bit and grab different weapons that are dropping and falling and, and things. So um, you can get out of uh, out of hand pretty quickly if you're, if you're not careful. Literally. Yes, literally. <laughs> literally. Uh, Burns, we record something nearly every single week, it feels like. What's up with you? Uh, all sorts of things. So uh, I've been playing Guild Wars 2 and just finished Xenogears last night on Twitch. Why are you only playing games that are like 10 or more years old? Well, Guild Wars 2 is still being updated, so it's not quite 10 years old. But You're playing like the beginning area, though. That's a solid 10 years old. Well, because that's where you start. And that's how, that's how games work. You start at the start and you work your way up. 
Ah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's just the way it's been because uh, I played a lot of Final Fantasy XIV this year. And so it was basically one of those things where I wanted to see what Guild Wars 2 was like because I didn't really want to play WoW. And so I wanted another MMO to compare it towards. And uh, Guild Wars 2 has been a lot of fun. It's different. Like It's much more action oriented, which is fun. It's it's a good change of pace, pace from what Final Fantasy XIV is. Given that you've spent about 10,000 hours playing MMOs this year, would you say that you have a problem? No, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. We'll turn to our resident doctor. Do you think he has a problem? Um, no. I think uh, he maybe has a, uh, a, a fetish. <laughs> <laughs> fetish for old crappy games, or maybe games that aren't crappy but are, are still old and... <laughs> Yes. Yeah, you have a PS5 and you're playing Guild Wars and Xenogears for crying out loud. <laughs> I mean, I played Dragon's Dogma on my PS5. Is that okay, Tom? That's also an eight-year-old game. <laughs> well, hey, hey. And I made you play that, so yeah, I can't really throw shade at that one. Come on. And next is Witcher 3 on my PS5. So you happy, Tom? I'm playing my PS5, Tom. Is that good enough for you, Tom? <laughs> yes, I suppose. Thank you, Burns. <laughs> Since we completely derailed you, are those games fun? Did you enjoy them? Like, what's going on with Xenogears and uh, your stream at twitch.tv slash hobbyboxburns? Uh, oh, it's been great. Uh, Z- Xenogears was long. It was a long game. I think I played 86 hours or something like that. And uh, last night, finally wrapped it up. And it was like a five-hour stream. I finished a little after 1 a.m. Because I just wanted to finish. I, need- I needed to get done. And I got to the final boss fight. And there's like an option where you could fight sub bosses to weaken the final boss so i tried to do that got wiped by like the third one uh because i accidentally ran into that battle without switching my party out and so then like when i was like okay well i gotta quit because it's late uh one of the guys was like well if you just go for the boss with your main group you're probably gonna beat him and i was like okay i'll try it and it's like yeah i just i wiped the floor with it i was like well why'd you guys tell me to fight all these (laughs) stupid mini bosses i just want to finish the game at this point that's an interesting mechanic but it sounds super duper frustrating yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, the one thing about Xenogears is there is a lot of stuff going on in that game, and you don't really fully understand all of it. And that goes not just with the story, because the story is like this like psycho- psychotic nesting doll of things that you pull out, uh, but it's the same with like the battle systems. There's, there's these intricate intricacies in the battle systems that it throws out at you in the first five hours in a tutorial, but it's like... By the time I get down in the game and I'm actually trying to do comp- more complex things with the battle system, I've forgotten all that crap because I've just been fighting these little, you know, measly guys that take one hit to kill anyway. And so so I think that's one of the issues that that game has. But the story is crazy. Like the 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 places that that story goes is so much crazier than I ever expected it to go and ever really expected a game from the PS1 era to like be ambitious enough to try and so th- that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about it anyway. And your whole stream is RPG archaeology, right? So y- all you're going to do is play these older RPGs. Not necessarily. Uh, so RPG archaeology is like a series that I do where I'm playing like some of the very first games. So like I played Dragon Quest 1, Dragon Quest 2. I've been I messed around with the first Shin Megami Tensei game. And then uh, I'm going to play the Final Fantasy, the first Final Fantasy and Fantasy Stars. Uh, also here in the near future. I started Fantasy Star, actually. Uh, but then I play kind of more of those, like, PS1 eras. I don't quite call those RPG archaeology just because, like, the other ones are, like, the very beginning 
Um, if I ever get to the point where I build my way up to that, then maybe I'll just rebrand everything that way too. I don't know, but yeah. But I like uh, the biggest thing is just playing old RPGs that I that are on my backlog that I haven't played forever, and uh, doing it with people online. And I mean, that's one of the best things about it is one of the guys that was in my stream, uh, Kylor. He's played Xenogears. I think he's beaten it 34 times. It is his favorite game of all time. 34 times times 80 some hours. That is 2,400 hours. Is that right? To some extent. Now, if you know what you're doing and you're not like dilly dallying, you can get through the game a lot faster. Uh, I think like the actual average time for completing it is like 60 hours. Now, granted, that's not stopping interacting with chat. That's not forgetting to level up your gear and then trying a same boss battle five times in a row until you finally realize, oh, I needed to upgrade so I could actually live, <laughs> you know? So I think I think that's part of it, uh, my noobishness and then being distracted a little bit while talking to other people on stream uh, added to the added to the time frame a little bit. Beating the same game 34 times. I am not 100% sure that I've beaten 34 games. Yeah, I probably haven't either. I think the guy sounds like a psychopath and you should if you ever meet him in real life run the other way really fast <laughs> i'm gonna talk to him he seemed cool he rolled with all of the random stuff that i threw into your chat while my child was screaming yeah yeah he's he, he, he's a good guy he's like an electrician uh, i don't know it's like and that's the fun thing about twitch is you get to find out about all these other people and you just bs about stuff you bs about the games you bs about whatever else is going on and uh yeah oh it's a good time i like it a lot yeah when do you get your ear licking microphone I mean, I'm not upgrading the microphone specifically for that. I'll upgrade it maybe just so that it sounds a little bit better. No, you should do it specifically for that. There's Twitch is a weird place, dude. Like you'd make a killing there. I don't. I don't want to get that weird though. I'm not. I'm not that weird of a person. So, have you considered getting breast implants? No. Have like I been- want. I want these things to get smaller, <laughs> not larger. <laughs> Come on, jeez. <laughs> I love having a show. <laughs> You're a good sport, Burns. Hey, no problem. <laughs> For me, my part, I've been playing with my new baby and dealing with the big girl emotions of a three-year-old. Those are things that are a lot to handle. Casey, you have three children. You you probably have an idea of what I'm going through. I played golf once. I went fishing once. Good times. You guys times. and your hobbies and your movies and your shows and your games. and Victoria Selvestet, Playmate of the Year. I can't remember the response to that. Oh, my God. It's the first time I've ever been outquoted on basketball. Oh, no. No, you like Taco Bell. Oh, no, that was a hostel. Oh, yeah. I swear, you guys rip on me 13 or 14 more times, and I'm out of here, dude. <laughs> Come on, Squeak, you're my new best friend. <laughs> Before we launch into the show, we want to thank our sponsor, Premier Health, at premierhealthmn.com. If you want to follow the show on social, you can email the show, overratedpod at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Tom Sidlachik, O-I-O. Follow Joey at HobbyBoxBurns on Twitter and twitch.tv slash HobbyBoxBurns. And follow Casey at Dr. Underscore Casey on Twitter. All right, let's get into the meat of our show here. We're going to be talking about Dragon's Dogma, the video game. This game is an action RPG from Capcom that was originally released in 2012 on the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. The original release scored 78 and 75 on Metacritic respectively, Re-releases with an expansion on PS4 and Xbox One scored 78 and 80. A real quick overview of the story. Your avatar that you create is killed in the prologue when your heart is literally ripped out of your chest and eaten by a dragon. You awake as an arisen with a date with destiny with the dragon. 
As an Arisen, you can summon pawns, humanoids from another dimension that aid you on your quest. You create one pawn that serves as your constant companion, and you summon others from the ether to fill out your party of four. You choose one of three different character archetypes for yourself and your pawn, warrior, mage, or ranger. Later on, you can unlock specialty classes for each of those three main types. Throughout the adventure, you will buy and upgrade both skills and equipment. You fight monsters and complete quests to level up and earn loot. One of the hooks for this particular game is fighting larger-than-life monsters. You can literally climb onto the beast and target different areas of their bodies with attacks and spells. Now, this game is interesting is that in that it came from a Japanese developer, Capcom, tackling what would be considered a Western action RPG. Casey, you, I know you haven't played many games in this genre. Let's start. How was the overall experience for you? Overall, I actually thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, for a game made in 2012, it didn't really seem to play that way. Uh, there were a few things that frustrated me in the beginning, and figuring out some of the main gameplay mechanics was at times a little bit of a struggle. But when you get further into the game, uh, it really became a lot more streamlined and, and fun to play. Joey, what was your take on the overall experience as a hardcore RPG aficionado? It, it was interesting because... I I wasn't really sure what to expect. Like going into the game, I knew that a lot of people, this was kind of like a cult classic for a lot of folks, and that there's, you know, a pretty decent-sized community online that's been pushing for like a Dragon's Dogma 2, Dragon's Dogma 2 for quite a while. Uh, and I struggle with open-world games and trying to keep going in them. I think the good thing about the but the good thing about uh, Dragon's Dogma is that it's not as huge of an open world as like the Bethesda games tend to be. And so I think that actually made it so that I felt a little bit more connected to it and didn't feel like I was super uh, like overwhelmed. Uh, but uh, yeah, overall the combat's not super complicated, but it has nuances to it and choices that you can make, which is nice. And, so, and, the, and the pawn system is really interesting. I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later. So overall, uh, I, I thought it was it was really intriguing. And, and it, it actually held up decently well for a game that's however many years old, over a decade and a half old, right? Nine years old. Almost a decade old, right? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, Corey points out on Facebook Live that I said meat. Thank you, Corey. For my part, I really enjoyed it. I thought it streamlined the fantasy experience. I'll get into it more when I'm summarizing my thoughts, but I thought this game was fun. It's been like my next game up to play for forever, and it keeps getting bumped down by something else that comes out or something else that grabs my attention. And I'm glad that I finally made time to play it because it is a lot of fun. The game starts off with a bang with uh, an opening tutorial that puts you in the boots of an extremely important character that you don't realize the significance of until you read the wiki after playing the game. What were your thoughts on the initial, uh, the opening tutorial, Joey? Okay, so the opening tutorial, not the next tutorial that you play right after you play the tutorial. Correct. They did a very weird thing with this. There were two <laughs> tutorials back to back. And that first one, it sets up like, it sets up the end of the story. Like, you have no idea how important that character you're controlling is. But ultimately, like, uh, they defeat the dragon and they become a god. And they are the very last person that you interact with in this game before starting New Game Plus. Yeah, which is cool. Like it, it's nice how that tied together, but it was so weird that they had a tutorial and then you go right into another tutorial. Yeah, it, I <clears throat> I thought that seemed really redundant, <laughs> but I, it did a good job of giving you a little bit of a feel for the 
for, for how the combat worked before you actually picked what your class was going to be. So I think that was actually effective. Uh, and it does do a good job. And like I said, the, the battle system's not super com- complicated, but it does a good job of laying the groundwork for that so that you have a good understanding of how it works. And, and so I think I think they did a really, a really good job. I, I am curious what of that was from the OG game and what of that was just from the Dark Arisen remake. Uh, and if they like tweaked that a little bit uh, in the time between, uh, or not remake, but uh, remaster. I-, I wonder if they tweaked that a little bit in the time between or not. That's a fascinating question. I have no idea. Kisu, what was your take on that opening sequence? I thought the fight itself was fun. I just remember it being really chaotic. Like, I don't know if I fully grasped anything, just running through basically hacking and slashing and killing stuff. And then afterwards, just kind of fumbling my way through everything again. But like I said, the fight itself was was fun, and I guess uh, uh, you know it did a good enough job of showing you the absolute basics of the game. I guess, but beyond that, not a whole lot. Yeah, I think it did a really good job of setting the tone for the entire game, especially once you get past like the opening stuff. But I could have used a little bit more explanation on like how the weapon skills work. Like they're like. Hit L1 or R1 and a different button to do things. I'm like, what? Yeah, <laughs> I have no I, idea what these skills do. I have no idea what how to best apply them. Yeah, I totally, like, I don't know if I missed that or just forgot about it. But, like, I, I forgot how to use the advanced moves for about 70% of my, my 20 hours that I played. Like, once I got, <laughs> like, I knew I was buying them. I knew I had them. But then, like, I just randomly pressed I think it's R1, I think, or they're not R1, but, like, right, it's not right trigger, it's the right button on the top, and I'm like, oh, yeah, there they are, <laughs> that's how I do that. Yeah, and on Xbox, it's the right and left bumper. Bumper, that's bumper. what it's, yeah. <laughs> RB. Bumping, bumping. <laughs> Way to uh, set your level of expertise for the show. <laughs> <laughs> so, you get to customize your character in Pawn, and you spend... Uh, the entire game acquiring and improving gear. Let's start with our characters. What inspired your characters, and what were your thoughts on the gear system? Uh, Casey, I liked your theme for the characters. Why don't you start? Yeah, so I uh, I tried to recreate Conan the Barbarian. So I made my I named him Conan. Tried to make him look uh, as close to as I could to Arnold Schwarzenegger's character. Um, Joey, when he saw my character, said I looked like Jay Leno, though. So evidently, I did a pretty. <laughs> job of that it was the chin the chin was a bit leno-esque and chin. by a bit i mean almost exact yeah chin was big that's all right <laughs> I, you know i didn't spend a whole lot of time on character creation except my female pawn you know i had to get the anatomy right on that one are you saying that she had huge boobs Is huge that what you're going boobs. For? biggest boobs you could put very important for for her mage skills that she had to have the largest boobs possible you should play Dragon's Crown. You'd enjoy that game. <laughs> <laughs> and be the sorceress is that what it is yeah i think so yeah so <laughs> and Joey, what about you? Uh, yeah, so I created, so I did a female fighter, and uh, her name was Callista, and then I leveled, I evolved her in job proficiency to a Mystic Knight, and so that's like a, kind of like a paladin, but you have a little bit more magic ability, I think, than like a paladin typically would, and so I just went with Callista because that's the name of like all of the characters I've created in like RPGs like this. And so, and then I created a, my pawn was a rogue slash ranger named Wanda, not a fish, but a a ranger named Wanda. 
It's funny that you use Callista for all your RPGs. I used to like use dirty words and like obscene things as names because it's hilarious the conversations you have when like your main character is like a euphemism for Wang and like <laughs> or, or Big Rock Smash Face. <laughs> that was a serious name. <laughs> that was a serious name, apparently. <laughs> so Callista comes from it was an it was an NPC I created for the first D and D campaign I did that I, I I really like liked and then. Around that same time when I was doing that, when I was DMing that group, I started playing Neverwinter, the MMO. And so then I was like, oh, I can play as Callista here instead of just dropping her in and out when I needed an NPC. And so it was a, yeah, it was a tiefling warlock. And then that just kind of evolved as I went through things. And so she always has purple or blue hair. So she had blue hair in this. Uh, but then it, it's it's funny. So sort of like Dragon's Crown, you know, since she was a woman and so basically she was walking around. Sometimes some of that armor is basically just chest pieces and that's about it. So yeah, you're, you're this fighter with a shield and then you have like nothing on here. It's like, I don't need torso protection. That's what the shield's for, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray for shields. I played as a mage sorcerer. I just named him Venom. I named her Venom. Both I played almost exclusively with females. The only time I had a male in my party was when they forced one on you initially with the first pawn that you meet. Rook. Rook. And my pawn was a warrior named Carnage. I felt like mailing it in with the names, but like I needed something that I could say on the air for this show. <laughs> Symbiots were top of mind for me. So let's talk about the gear in this game. Gear is an important part of any RPG. Joey, you've played a lot of RPGs. What were your thoughts on the gear system and the upgrade system for the gear? Basically, every item in the game can be upgraded three times at a shop, and then there are ways in the end game that you can upgrade things further. So I, I actually really liked the progression system for the gear. Uh, I think all of it looked interesting enough, which I thought was everything looked interesting. And, and there were a few times where like the strongest gear looked stupid. And so I didn't go with it. But uh, then like there was one time where uh, apparently I had like it. It was it was a helmet. It had like chain mail inside of it, but it basically looked like one of those old nun hats like like the like the the nuns wear in Game of Thrones, so sort of like that white thing, and so it's like okay, I just went from basically bikini top to now full on nun frock almost, uh, and then that evolved into uh, kind of more like chainmail types of things, and uh, yeah, now I think so. Playing Dark Arisen, you end up getting a bunch of gear in your storage. And so once I went up to Mystic Knight, I couldn't wear most of my gear anymore because it was only for a fighter. And so then I was like, well, I don't have any money to buy anything. So I'm just going to scrounge what I can out of all of this stuff that I had. So she has like a weird kind of like top that goes like in a V sort of thing that has it looks like a weird like purple animal print kind of on it. Uh, and then I think the, the pants and, and, and like boots are nondescript. Uh, I do think it's interesting how you have your armor piece, but then you also have your clothing piece. And then with the bottoms, it's your pants and then your boots. I like that there's that level of variation between those two. And, and each of those changes how you look, which I, is also nice. And then the upgrade system really incentivizes scrounging for stuff. And even though that like hits my biggest pet peeve in the game, which is encumbrance, which is my biggest pet peeve in any of these freaking games. Uh, but 
it was nice to say, oh, I had scrounged enough copper ore, so apparently now I'm going to be able to do the level 3 upgrade for my chest armor. And now I'm going to be able to do the level 3 upgrade for my sword because I ended up finding a bunch of this other crap uh, or killed enough goblins to get the stuff that they drop. And, and so I thought that was a really cool way to do that, uh, as well as then being able to craft stuff with that. So it, it did a good job of incentivizing, like, doing things and actually trying to use the different systems in the game, which I thought was was good for it to do. I agree. You hit on both of my main points. There was a lot of cool-looking gear that seemed to drip out at a pretty good rate, too. But once I saw the Dark Arisen stuff, like, there was a pink dress in there that was far superior to any gear that I found along the way. So I spent... I think I spent 30 hours with this game. I spent at least 20 to 25 hours in that stupid pink dress. Eventually, right before I went to fight the dragon, I'm like, I've had enough of this. Like, I'm going to look like a bad warrior for this final fight scene. And then I ditched the dress for inferior gear just so that I looked cool for the end showdown. Yeah, I would say 15% of the female pawns I saw in the game had that pink dress on. At one point, there were three of us. (laughs) (laughs) You guys had a uniform. That's so cute. (laughs) It's nothing against, like, pink dresses, but, like, you know, that's not the power fantasy that I want to be fighting goblins in a pink dress. Yeah. So it was 15% the pink dress, and then about 20% basically just bikini. Some of them would have a robe that made it look like you didn't have anything on underneath. And then there was maybe about 40% that were actual legitimate, like, female armor. (laughs) There's a lot of cool-looking stuff. Well, let me get Casey's thoughts, and then I'll move on to this next thought. Casey, your thoughts on the gear system. For me, the gear was actually the low point of the the game, but not because it was, like, I agree with everything you said, Joey. It was actually really cool with, like, the upgrade system and how everything worked. And in the beginning of the game, I was having a lot of fun actually trying to purchase items to create and make my guy look like Conan. Like, I had a sweet helmet, like, that had the, the horns and everything that he had. I had this leather, like skirted armor and every like I'm, i he looked a lot like conan and then like i got to the point in the game where i was able to upgrade from a fighter to a warrior and then i'm like well i just have all this kick armor that i thought was actually going to be what i was going to end up wearing and upgrading through the whole game and they just threw this frilly knight's costume in there that had like <laughs> 10 times better stats than anything that i had i'm like well and then you're like, well, do I keep my character or do I abandon everything for this kick set of armor that's just freely given to you? Like, it just felt like such a cop-out to wear it, but you almost had to because the ramp up and difficulty with the monsters was so hard that if you didn't do it, you just got your ass kicked constantly. So I thought that kind of sucked. At, and then, least, like, at least it wasn't a pink dress. <laughs> well, but I had to put my pawn in basically that pink dress because it was either that or the nun costume and the nun, like, which was still less powerful than the pink dress. Looked cooler, I thought. Looked better. But at the same time, you're like, well, if you're going to throw a dumb costume on him, you might as well do the one with the best stats. And then, like, with the upgrade system, like I said, it was cool and all, but, like, <laughs> what bothered me, well, the encumbrance did suck too, but you're running through a dungeon, and all of a sudden you run across a piece of ore. Like, if you're going to make the upgrade system, you need ore or material stuff like that. I'd rather have it come off mobs. It's just stupid to have my warrior running through a dungeon, all of a sudden whip out a pickaxe to chip at away at a wall for a while. And then, yeah, and then the ore itself just was so heavy that you're constantly, like, having to run it back to town and put it in your inn so it doesn't weigh you down for the next one. So that kind of was annoying, but... Did you uh, keep it all in your main character, or were you shuffling it between the other characters? I shuffled it to the... Well, you can't put it into the other pawns, but you can 
Oh, I wouldn't let. I don't know. They wouldn't let me. Yeah, for you just reason. give it to any of them, and that that's like they're my pack mules, basically. <laughs> oh, well, I could. Oh, that's odd. It, it I took try, me twenty I swear, some hours. To I swear, I tried. To, no, I I I figured out that I could give it to my other one, but I swear when I tried to give it to the other the the non main pawn that that it wouldn't let me give them anything. So I was like, oh, well, maybe it's just because they're not mine. So I don't know. Maybe I was doing something wrong at that point, but yeah, they I I was able to give. A lot to my other pawn, so that that helped, but it still wasn't near enough, especially when you're a warrior weighed down by tons and tons of armor. <laughs> and or just these big old rocks in yes. your backpack. Gotta have them rocks. <laughs> what are, do you guys think about cosmetics in RPGs in general? Would you have liked to have more control over your how your character looked, or is that not something that's important? Like I would have just, I personally would have been happy with something that was just like fantasy, cool looking armor for my main characters and not a pink dress like i don't need a ton of control over it but i wanted at least something that like let me suspend disbelief that my avatar was a bad in this world so it depends on it depends on the game i think if you're playing an mmo i think you do need to have complete control over how you look and what you can do with with things and a lot of mmos give you the option to dye different pieces of clothing to make it to make it look more unique or to try to make it uh, look cool, I guess, would be the way to, to go at it. Uh, and, but especially in the earlier levels, it, you know, it, it's just not going to look good. I think in a game like this where there are some social aspects, so like everybody can see your pawn if they recruit them or if they show up in the rift when you go to recruit pawns. Uh, but you're not like actually there with them electronically when they're doing that. So I, I, I didn't really care. I, I put stuff on Wanda that I thought looked decent, but not like garish <laughs> and, and just left it at that. I maybe, I do probably need to upgrade her armor again because I'm a little bit behind on that. Uh, but I, I more so just wanted her to look normal or look like a ranger as opposed to uh, Barbarella or, or anything like that. Uh, but I, I think it's nice to have that little bit of a change so it's not static, and it helps keep things fresh as you're playing through a long game like this. I want my person to look like Conan, you know? Like, <laughs> I named him Conan, I wanted him to look like Conan, and I kind of, I mean, I had to had to go with the frilly knight suit, which kind of, like I said, it, it sucked, but I, I had to do it. So I think like you, Tom, where if I, once I get to late end game, I'm definitely going to try to upgrade everything and, and make it look a lot better because I don't know what else I'm going to spend gold on now because I don't have to put it into that set of armor because it's maxed out and kicks ass and should be good enough to carry me all the way to end game. Well, it's interesting with the upgrade system, that can be super duper expensive. They are pretty generous with the gold they give you for completing quests and that you find. Uh, I never sold anything in this game. I just hoarded everything in your unlimited bank inventory space. Oh, really? Yeah, so I I mean, I envision myself switching classes. I want to make sure that I have the best options when I switch classes. So everything I find just goes into the bank. And I still made a lot of money, but I found I had to choose between upgrading my current gear or buying new things. So, like, they're... There is a lot of inventory that you can buy from the different shops, and you can do uh, subquests further on where you can expand the shop's inventories. But for me, it was one or the other. It was either upgrade the gear that I was wearing or buy new gear. I couldn't afford to do both. Interesting. Yeah, I, uh, I sold everything. So I have. <laughs> I think right now I'm level 22 about midway through the game, and I have 240,000 gold. <laughs> 
which is way more than I am ever going to need, I think. No, disagree. I bought a weapon that cost 240000 Oh, wow. Yeah. There's stuff that's expensive in the game. Like, expensive. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really good stuff, but it's expensive. Oh. And especially at, like, endgame, like, oh, my God. You could spend literally millions outfitting your character. Oh, and maybe good, then I can make it look cool. Good to know. You guys both touched on encumbrance. There is a lot of stuff in this world. You find herbs around the world. Monsters drop random loot. You can mine ore. There's just there's a lot of inventory to manage, and you can combine things to make other things. Was this a positive system? I swear they ripped it right out of the Elder Scrolls. Uh, did they execute it well? Was this a fun addition to the game, or did you guys find it tedious or unfun? I find encumbrance unfun in any game that it possibly exists in, except for something like Diablo, especially Diablo 2, where it's like, okay, here's my pack. I have to Tetris everything into here. I really like that because then it's, it almost gamifies it another way. But otherwise, in a game where you're incentivized to just collect all the crap, and then it's going to tell you, hey, you got too much crap. Time to walk your way all the way over, super slowly because you're almost over-encumbered. Uh, like that, that's like a little maddening. And, and it gets to the point where I get what you're trying to do. I shouldn't grab everything. I need to sell it or I need to prioritize what I'm collecting. But like, don't make it hamper my gameplay experience. And then that's the thing that I always hate the most about encumbrance systems in games. Uh, I mean, I think it was... I think it was fine. I think it was on par with what you can do in Elder Scrolls. Uh, like, there's a lot of comparisons that you can make between this game and Elder Scrolls, I think. Yeah, I think it was derivative of the inventory system in Elder Scrolls. In Elder Scrolls, I really like doing the alchemy and, like, combining herbs and finding mm -hmm. the herbs and learning what to do. I remember distinctly in Oblivion, one of my tactics was just eat everything I found in the world because then you'd, your alchemy skill would go up and you'd learn the different properties of it. So I'd be <laughs> walking around, my screen would be distorted, and it was just uh, it was a very silly thing, but I really enjoyed it because it was so silly. In this game, while I initially liked combining healing herbs to make better healing, like there was just too much crap, and it's like, oh God, what can I combine a moldy, moldy apple with? What can I combine a pumpkin with? What can I, oh, I can make back fat. What can I combine back fat with? Oh, I make arrows. Well, I don't use arrows, so <laughs> great. It is just... I don't know, it was clunky and like a little bit of like just streamlining it more because a lot of things in this game were a streamlined fantasy experience. You could jump in, you could fight a whole bunch of monsters and it was super satisfying, but inventory management was not streamlined. It was just clunky and slow and kind of immersion breaking. Yeah, I mean, at least they allowed you when you were combining things to pull from any of your pawns. Uh, that would have probably been a deal breaker for me if then I had to do this side game of having them give me all the crap and, and reshuffling everything around that I can't combine or whatever to be able to do that. Uh, so I think at least they had a win on that. But yeah, I, I, well, and, and also getting back to that, like the moldy apple, the stuff goes bad so freaking fast, man. It's like I, I get, oh, hey, I'm walking by a stream and here's a bunch of fish, fish swimming around. So I'm going to grab the fish. And then next time I look at my inventory, oh, they're rotten. If you eat this, it will tear your bubbles <laughs> apart. And I haven't tried it yet because I don't want to just be, you know, you know, I mean, you know, one of my fears is that I'm in the woods and have to like just take a massive duke. And so <laughs> the last thing I want to do is live that out in a game. And so I, I think that's something that I think that's something that I'm probably going to avoid completely. Casey, you are undisputedly the most outdoorsy person that has been on this show. How do you feel about taking a duke in the woods? I've done that multiple times. doesn't bother me one bit. Just like lean up against a tree with a handful of leaves or what? Sometimes you don't even have a tree. Just squat as best you can and let her, let her fly. 
Have you ever shot two deer while pooping? Like in the act of pooping? Like while you're like got turds flying out your bunger and then you're <laughs> pulling the trigger at the same time? No, I've never done that. So uh, I think it was the second year I went hunting. Uh, my dad uh, and I, we were we were sitting on a drive and I was like lo- lo- looking at the woods and stuff like that. And all of a sudden I hear like like in the in the woods and then i see i look over and i see my dad standing up pants around his ankles and then just boo, boo. <laughs> and yeah then he's like pulling his pants up and then shoots again it that, was hilarious that's a skill that i have not mastered yet <laughs> I, i'm gonna have to work on that one also, a side note: Can your dad come to my deer camp? He sounds like a good time. I think our dads would get along. <laughs> I, he doesn't. He doesn't hunt anymore. He he gave it up. It's oh, too bad. <laughs> oh well, what the f- were we talking about? We're talking about gear. Gear. Yeah, we're about not, gear not gear. We were talking about food, combining and yes, all that sort of stuff. Um, so my thoughts on that are that uh, I I agree a hundred percent with everything that you guys said. Uh, I actually found myself just running by almost everything nope. <laughs> Be- I- because it was just such a pain in the butt for me to, to, to do. And I was constantly overweight, um, even with shuffling it to, to my pawn. And I just never really figured out the combining system. Like I wish there was a, like a recipe card or something like that. that they could say, okay, combine these items with this. So you could create this. Like I, I hate having to try to figure it out in a game like this, where I just want to, smash and bash things i don't want to be <laughs> trying to figure out what i need to mix with what to create a, a more powerful healing potion what would have been helpful is if there's just a list of like the things you could make and like it you could just select what you have the items for i yes. think that would yeah. have been a tremendously helpful thing also another thing that annoyed me in this game like i don't know if you guys got far enough where you're dealing with a lot of debilitations for the pawns but like uh, when you're fighting gargoyles and other things, your pawns will get petrified. And, like, I kept all the good healing potions on me. Uh-huh. Yes, if, like, if I need them, I need them. I don't want my pawns just burning them. And so it's like, oh, well, uh, Fiona is going to be petrified. Here's your potion that cures petrification. Put it right in her inventory. Can't use it for her. Yep. It's like, oh, she didn't use it, and I'm watching her crumble to dust. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that that was another th- another thing that got frustrating because the pawns won't heal unless they're under half health. And so you'll throw like the, you'll throw like some of the herbs or whatever into their inventory, but until they are low enough, they're not actually going to use it, which is maddening because I just want to top everybody off. I've got plenty of crap. I just want to top everybody off so that we're like able to go to the next thing. And granted, I know that it gives you a little bit of a like push your luck sort of feeling where it's like, Okay, can I go through this next mob, or do I need to double back? Do I need to port back to uh, Grand Soren, or can I try to make it a little bit farther here to see what what I'm trying to get to? And, and so I, I know that that's what it's trying to do, but it, it just gets it gets frustrating. <laughs> just heal, dang it. <laughs> The game takes place in a place called Grancis, which is a small part of a peninsula. Like, think of an Elder Scrolls game, uh, Skyrim, and then think of a very small, specific area, and that's where this game takes place. There's, It's a geographically large area, and this game makes you walk slowly across all of it. Uh, <laughs> but what were our combined impressions of the setting? 
Um, I thought the setting was fine. There were you know, a lot of different areas to travel, uh, almost too many, it seemed at times. Uh, but, you know, and, and each with their own challenge uh, uh, on their own. But uh, overall, I thought the setting was was fine, like for, for the game itself, um, the different towns, the the mountain ranges, the, the forests, the, you know, the different caves, dungeons and stuff like it, I, it seemed to fit well with, with the overall arc of the story. Yeah. I thought it was fine too. It's basically just a nondescript medieval fantasy with big monsters. Yeah. So I, I really like the lore of the dragon and how it starts with like the, you know, the dragon stabbing and taking out your heart and eating it. That is a dark open, man. Yeah. I'm like, whoa, he just whipped out my heart, dude. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. And so, so I like that. And then you have this big old scar and that's what shows that you're an arisen. And so I like that part of it. But then everything else just screamed basically generic Bethesda game. It's it's the faces all look fugly. I mean, it's like down to a note, it was a lot of what you see in uh, Oblivion or Skyrim, you know, and I, I guess that's fine. But and maybe I didn't like I'm probably at like the midway point, maybe a little bit farther than that in the game. So maybe there's stuff farther down the line that like takes things in a different direction possibly there there isn't really okay because it just it just seems like there isn't there isn't anything that really sets it apart like the the monster designs look cool they're interesting uh you stumble across them sometimes in the craziest places uh but yes and yeah the 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 pathfinding and the movement is is atrocious it takes forever to get places in the game it is so brutal there's there's too much walking around in this game, and it feels like they're trying to artificially inflate the length of the game. Like, I would like to get from thing to thing to thing to thing, and, like, some of these quests take you far out to the edges of the world to explore, and that's, you know, that's fine. They want you to experience the world, and, like, if that's a quest, if that's a couple of quests, that's fine, but it's, like, literally everything. There is one main story quest where you're in the castle where most of the action happens. You're with the main quest giver. He's like, you have to talk to this very important guy at this other place. And it's like, well, there isn't a fast travel point there. So I have to warp back to the starting town, walk over there. I get there and they're like, oh, well, they need you at the capital. Like right, right now. I'm like, (laughs) I was literally just standing there. They couldn't have just told me to go outside. I'd be fine with that. Honestly, I'd rather fight monsters than walk anywhere and pick 17,000 more herbs because I'm like, Casey, I cannot walk past them. I cannot let them go. My brain says, ooh, there's a shiny. Go get it. Go get it. Go get it. I have 10,000 of these in the inventory. I don't care. Go get it. (laughs) Well, and then there's the side quests, which, you know, like if you're having a meal and something's a side, it's usually like a little bit smaller, but the side quests take forever because you'll be in like the capital and you get this side quest and they're like, oh, I want you to track down this tome for me. And then you have to walk ages across the map in order to try to get that stupid tome. And then... Don't even get me started on a stupid tome, Joey. <laughs> My God. that I wasted, I, I bet, three hours on that quest because I ventured a little off track in the beginning. I ended up fighting a Chimera, which like was a super hard battle for the level that I was. Ended up beating it, and then Nightfall came, and you don't want to be out in the middle of the woods during night. I found like this abbey in the middle of the woods. So I kind of hunkered down there until daylight, and I figured out, oh, I have another quest where actually I get to kill like some things at night. So I ended up like killing a bunch of things at night, ran into two trolls, which ended up killing me. So then I had to, like my last save point, uh, thankfully there was a, um, whatever the stone is that you get your pawns from there. So I, I saved 
before that, and so I didn't end up like having to reset too far. Then I get all the way to this uh, women's camp where you have to. It's a uh, bandit camp. Yeah, so a bandit women's camp where, uh, like, the, the main quest is talk to the talk to the main uh, leader of the bandit. Well, when I get there, <laughs> I talk to her, and she's like, basically, you're a man. Get the heck out of here, and everybody starts to attack me. I'm like, what the heck? Well, it turns out, like, I don't know how you figure it out, but, like, you have to be a woman to get that portion of the quest and like you can get it as a man but you have to wear women's clothing and then go to the barber <laughs> shop in town and have your face shaved if you have a beard which i didn't so i would have been fine in that but i i had no idea that i had to wear women's clothing when i got there so i just wasted like three hours of the quest <laughs> and by that time like i had fought so many bad guys i had fought cyclops i had fought chimera i had fought all this stuff i had no more healing anything left so trying to make it all the way back to town at this point in time was damn near impossible i had to save like every like 50 steps because i had no idea what was going to be around the next corner and kill me and yeah it was like so frustrating a welcome to rpgs save every 15 steps regardless yes b you should have picked all those herbs dude you would have been fine (laughs) that's true that is true (laughs) those are important for those long trips but it's so interesting that you had that experience because I played as a female character and I just walked in. Like, yeah. I slayed 10,000 bandits walking up to that camp. Like, yeah. I thinned their ranks significantly. And then I get to the gates and they're like, oh, what's up? Sup, girl? I'm like, sup? Yep. Yep. I had to slay everything. Then I get there and then they attack me and I killed every single person in that camp. There wasn't a single thing standing, even the leader. I killed the leader. And then, like, I've explored it up, down, like, found all these, like, hidden chests and stuff like that. Nothing. No tome anywhere. Turns out there is a men's bandit camp, so I gotta go to the men's bandit camp, and then they give you two different side quests again from the men's bandit camp, and then you can go all the way back up to the women's bandit camp again to get the tome. I didn't. Uh, I didn't get the side quest from the men's camp. The tome was at the men's camp for me. So yeah. So I, um, yeah, went to the women's camp. They didn't have it. Uh, they said Maul, the leader of the ba- of the men bandits, had it. Uh, I eventually stumbled there today. And so I was trying to talk him into being like my friend in order to in order to uh, have him just give me the book instead of me just going to take it. So I'm giving him these skulls, which bandits like skulls, apparently, in, in the game. And so, so so I'm gifting these skulls to him. And as I'm going through, because I had like seven skulls in my inventory. So I'm just by rote X to enter the dialogue square to give the skull. Uh, I accidentally forgot to hit X one time and just started attacking him and then ended up having to wipe out the whole men's bandit camp and then like just went up the tower and grabbed the tome. And it's just like, well, I think I burnt that bridge. (laughs) I didn't mean to kill the guy, but I just had to at that point. Nice. Oh, he could have been the character that the dragon snatches from you at the very end of the game. Yeah, possibly. Screwed that up, though. Oh, way to root it. I accidentally cast a spell in the middle of the inn in town one time. I'm like, oh, what's the stupid tome thing? Is this going to like make my pawns fight better? And uh, no, I cast a, like a fireball on the innkeeper. I almost did the same thing. Like when I turned myself you know, from a fighter into a warrior the first time and you get the two-handed sword, I'm like, oh, this is sweet. So like right in the middle of the town square in the capital, I whipped it out and like cut like right through three people. And it's like the guard is like, don't even try to run. You're, and I like 
instantly jailed was like, well, that sucked. So I like just restarted the game from the last save point. <laughs> yeah, the problem I have is that square is the button to do your normal attack, and that's the map button in Final Fantasy XIV. And so I'll get a quest, and then I'll be like, oh, okay, where's that on the map? Hit square. Oh, shoot, shoot. No, no, stop. No. Uh, I haven't killed anybody that way. Well, except for Maul, the man's bandit leader. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's treacherous, like, having a wrong input and, like, just slicing people. <laughs> uh, coming back to the book quest, I know both of you guys hated it. They actually do something really interesting with that quest. It ties into a story quest later. If you complete that side quest, later on you're going to have to fight a griffin or some giant monster at the top of a tower. And it's this big, epic fight. And then dude's like, hey, you helped me find this book, so I'm going to start casting fireballs on this. And it was a really cool moment. It was interesting they tie that together throughout the game there are side quests that you can take on and if you reach certain points of the game those quests are no longer available like there is one to find a character in the very beginning and i was interested in it but i just like there's another quest to go to the capital i'm like oh i'm gonna go to the capital then i'll come find this person i get to the capital i was like oh well this quest is no longer available i was like oh i could have used some kind of warning that like i was approaching something that would cancel side quests that were already active Uh, But overall, I thought they did a really interesting job at times of tying side quests back into the main quest. I mean, that's cool. I haven't gotten to a point where that uh, did that yet. Uh, But, I mean, ultimately, and I I actually, I did like the Tome quest. I actually did like the Tome quest. And, And I've liked most of the quests, except for the fact that for side quests, I wish they didn't take as much time. And, and really, the time is really just getting to and from. And and granted, I found out way too late about my eternal fairy stone that I had in my, in my storage. And so I wasn't teleporting anywhere until I was already probably 14, 15 hours in. Well, let's set the stage for fast travel here. Fast travel in a lot of games, like you just hit a button on the map and you warp there. That's how it traditionally works. Usually there's a cooldown or some resource cost or something. In this game, it is a two-part system. You need something called a fairy stone, and that gets planted in the ground, and then you can fast travel to that point. And to fast travel, you need, a, or that's a port crystal. You need a port crystal, a purple port crystal, and you plant that some in the ground, and you can travel there. And you need a fairy stone, a consumable item, to travel to that spot. And it's explained super duper poorly. Like you find a port crystal when you first, I think, visit the uh, pawn guild in the capital city. And so, like, you're lugging around this three pound item on your 45 pound limit. And uh, they don't really explain how or when you should use it. I kind of lucked into it. Like, I did a side quest that took me all the way to the, out to the edge of the map. I'm like, I am never walking here again. If I have to come back here, I will fast travel because I just, I'm not going to do it. I'll quit the game before I do this long ass walk in the dark again. And, uh,. Just the, I thought the whole fast travel system left something to be desired. Either have it in the game or don't have it in the game. Like I got lucky on my long walks. I planted port crystals on like two to three areas that I needed to get to for end game quests. And like if I hadn't planted those the first time I wandered there or did a side quest, it would have been so incredibly frustrating. How how many of those crystals were you able to find in your playthrough? I had one just outside of the Frontierland, which is where the Goblin Camp is. I had one at the Blue Moon Tower, and I had one at Traveler's Rest, which uh, is kind of by the Blighted Mads. Uh, so three. three. I believe I planted three, and I could have used probably at least five more. Yeah, yeah. Like, I found two so far. Yeah, I've only planted one of them. I haven't decided where I want the other one to oh, go. I planted one at Great Wall Encampment, too, so I found four. 
Gotcha. You can pick them back so, up if you don't want to. Go know, back to that spot, yeah. Yeah. But uh, the, well, the frustrating thing for me was, yeah, after I had the the uh, port crystal, or it was the stone, which I didn't realize you could get from your freaking innkeeper. So, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it was in the in, you know the inventory the whole time, and like I had no idea that it was yeah, there. Yeah, it took me a long time to find yeah. the eternal oh, yeah. fairy stone, yeah. too. Like, yeah. The first time I found where I could buy them, I'm like, oh, my God, I bought like 50 of them. Yeah. <laughs> which also has a weight cost and a help yes. me be encumbered, which super sucked. Yes. Yeah. That that Some of those things should just be innate or at least not have that much weight if you have to have them. Um, I agree. Yeah. Fast travel. Could have used some improvements. I, I do think the game. So, like I said, the monsters look cool and it has some weird immersive moments at times. Uh, with with just like the monsters being in the wild, similar to an extent to Monster Monster Hunter, maybe not as well done as that. Uh, but for instance, uh, I was doing one of the uh, what are they called where you're leading someone to a place? Escort quests. Yes, escort quests. Uh, of which I still haven't passed one. Everybody gets killed before I can take them anywhere. Same, <laughs> same experience. Yeah, I I had that. I lost one character like that. I'm just, I'm not going to do them again. And then I was reading the wiki and someone said to like, you go to the end of the quest and you plant your port crystal yeah. there so you can just fast travel. Yep. Instant rewards. Oh, yep. that's cheating. It is cheating. And I did it with all of the rest <laughs> of the escort quests. The problem I've had is that I didn't know where they were supposed to go. And so, and most of most of them, when I was taking them places, I hadn't discovered that place yet. So I'm like going through unexplored wilds and getting just destroyed by whatever's coming our way. <laughs> and so, so that was that was a bit frustrating. But right after I started uh, one of them that was leaving Grand Soren, which is the capital, uh, like I walk out and there is this convoy that's getting attacked by a griff by a bunch of goblins. And then a griffin comes by and I start hacking away at this griffin and it just grabs one of like the oxen and just carries it away. And I was just like, that was neat. Like, it, and it's gone. It's not coming back. It just flew away. It flew over the capital and took it to wherever its nest was. And then there was another time when I was first going to the southern fort uh, where I'm walking through that area. And all of a sudden I see, OK, there's something big just in the middle of this clearing uh, kind of down in the valley before you get over to where you kind of you go through the cave to get to uh, to get to that southern part of the fort. And it was the dragon. Hmm. The dragon was just sitting there. and I was like, holy crap. So I'm like sneaking along like as far away from it as possible. I trip over one of those tripwire things that the goblins will set out. And all of a sudden it starts like, and I instantly just keep walking and I try to avoid those tripwires. It starts walking over towards where that first tripwire was. And I was like, holy crap, I, there's no way I could take on the dragon right now. It would like kill my pawns and probably me. And, and so it was like, that was neat. And so there are some moments of that where the exploration is good to have. Uh, and, and some of those moments just kind of spontaneously get created. Uh, but a lot of it also was just too much walking around you start when it's like morning and then it's midnight and you're getting attacked by four different hefty things that just take forever to whittle away <laughs> and so it gets a little bit long when all I'm doing is trying to do this side quest right so that's I think I think that's that's something that if they do a dragon's dogma too I'd like to see them tighten up or give us horses so we can travel more quickly that too <laughs> that too. <laughs> 
Uh, one thought I had on the settings, I thought a lot of like the sub-locations were really interesting. Like all of the quest locations, like the Water God's Altar stands out to me, or like the uh, fortress where the goblins took over. I thought yeah. a lot of those uh, small sub-areas were really interesting and that the quests in them were really good. I rarely got lost. They were action-packed, and I thought the pacing in those instances was very good as opposed to walking around the overworld. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. That's probably where I've, well, considering I didn't get very far to the main storyline, most of my gameplay was side quests, so a lot of these areas that I ventured to were, at the very end of the quest, pretty exciting and, and had a lot of fun battles, except for the girls' bandit fort where they <laughs> sucked balls. <laughs> Well, speaking of the combat, action RPGs are often defined by how you fight enemies. What did we think of the fighting in Dragon's Dogma? I'll start here. I focused on offensive magic. Like, I, I tend to be mages in RPGs. It's just kind of my jam. I really liked the variety of spells in this game, but the respecking was clunky. You essentially have six active skill slots. Like, you can hold down R1 and do square, triangle, circle for three of your skills, or you can hold down L1 and have those same three. And so you only had six spells that you could have with you at any time. Changing those out was clunky. You had to go to an innkeeper or a special base or something. And I, there was a lot of flexibility possible but like when you're doing a quest you don't know what you're going up against you don't know what tools right. you're necessarily going to need there's no warning that you're going to be fighting dudes that where you have to have holy affinity as one of your six spell slots or uh i thought i liked the magic system i just i hated how clunky it was with respecking stuff and spell casting times took a very very long time yes yes and that's the one thing i learned and so the, the the Mystic Knight's spells are weird because a lot of them at first are defensive and it's all about I'm going to do a parry with fire or I'm going to do a parry with ice. And so I wasn't, it wasn't clear to me that because it takes like five seconds to cast the spell and you're just standing there like straight up in the air casting for that whole time. If you get interrupted, well, you're gonna have to do it again. Uh, and so, but then I was like, well, so do I still have to do the block in order for this to hit them? Or is it just going to hit them if they attack me? There wasn't a lot of description as to how the stuff actually worked. I had to look up, I had to look up a video online in order to get it figured out. Like, how am I supposed to actually play the Mystic Knight? Because at first I was just playing it like a fighter. I was like, okay, I'm just going to hit you with these three things. And, and so that, that's the tricky thing when you're using the shield is that three of your abilities are tied to your shield. So for the Mystic Knight, those are your spells. And then the other three are tied to your sword or your mace. Or or you could use a staff then at that point too. Uh, which if you use a staff, then you can use magic. But you still only have three things tied to that main weapon. And then three things tied to your your shield. So it, it, it splits it up to the point where it makes it difficult to know what is it that I want to do. And then you'll get one of these other pawns and... You have to look at, okay, what are they specking in? I don't need to do the same thing, so I'm swapping my stuff out uh, to match, like mix and match what my other fighter pawn that I recruited is doing. Uh, and and then, oh, okay, well, they're too low level now, so I got to swap them out for somebody else. And what are they doing now? And, and so it gets confusing. But I will say, the further down the skill tree you get, the cooler some of the abilities are. There is, uh, there is a spell... Uh, that you get at the Mystic Knight where you basically cast uh, this orb that's in front of you and you just sit there and hit it with your your sword and it shoots the orbs at the enemies. And as you level it up, it shoots more and more shots. 
at the enemies, and that was really cool. Uh, like you're just sitting there, just pium, pium, and just shooting these things at them. So there's some really neat effects that it has uh, in there. It's just kind of convoluted as to what I need when I need it. You have all these reposts with the different various spells, but it's like, I don't know what I'm going to be fighting and what's going to be good against them uh, until I watched a video where they basically just said, just do fire, it's going to be the same as holy. Just do ice, it's going to be the same as anything else and whatever, you know. Mm. Um, but when you have that limited to only three things and you're like, okay, I'll make sure this is really good, you know. Uh, but but I, th I think there was some good stuff in there. It could just be tightened up a little bit, right? What do you think of the fighting, Casey? Um, so I played as a as a fighter in the beginning, and then I switched to a warrior. So the fighter, the main difference between the fighter and the warrior is the fighter you carry a one handed sword, and then you have the shield, um, and you can stay as that. And I like as as the fighter, like, and even as the warrior, it's they're basically just hack and slash both of them. You mm -hmm. you don't get any spells, you don't get anything. Um, I, with the fighter, I kind of wish it would have had like with the shield, there was no. Like, maybe there would have been eventually, but there there wasn't a parry option. There wasn't anything like that. Like, you were just holding your shield out in front of you. You could do a shield bash, that sort of thing. But, like, I liked in, like, Hellblade, where you could parry an attack, stun the opponent, go in and whack him. You know, like, with, with, with the fighter and the warrior, you just are running into the mobs and just swinging your sword, you know, trying to hit something and hope to not get hit. But you always do yeah i think most of that stuff's down either deeper down the fighter if you stay as the fighter or down the uh mystic knight path yeah with the with the warrior like it's, you know i am fairly far down and i i haven't encountered anything like that either um and with the enchantments and stuff like the, the ice power and, and fire like there's nothing like that either i i had to re rely a hundred percent on my pawn to enchant my blade with her spells so like you know i have to respec her basically in order to to get any of that applied to my weapon or just hope that they end up casting on the right person at the right time which is kind of eh, you know like i don't know like the the, the off chance of that but like you know overall it, it was fine that's kind of the style that i play too like tom you said you play the mage i always usually go to the tanky warriors just hacking my way through everything that, that comes at me that's kind of what i gravitate to uh one thing i thought was really cool in this game that i haven't really seen in the other games is the ability to actually grab onto the bad guys like that and climb up the the back of mm -hmm. yeah. cyclopses and, and smash them and, and chop the head off of hydras and like it, it's it was something really cool that i thought was in this game i'm glad you brought that up the only other game i can think of that has a mechanic like that is shadow of the colossus which i haven't played but you get to climb the big colossi of that game right yeah yeah, it's a cool thing. As a mage, like, I never did it. I was always standing far yeah. away, hoping that the monsters wouldn't notice me during my two-minute cast of my meteor spell. <laughs> yeah, Monster Hunter has a little bit of, like, the grapple mechanic to get on their backs, but not to the level of where you're actually scaling the beast. And, and it's interesting, because when you get up against some of those stronger Cyclopses, like, the pawns are yelling at you, especially if the pawns have fought Cyclopses before. Uh, they're yelling at you, get that armor off the head so then we can target the eye or get the armor off of its attack arm so that, and, and so you climb up the back and you start smacking at the arm. You hit it enough times, the armor is going to fall off so that then they can hit the arm to incapacitate it so it doesn't have its club anymore. And so it, it, I think that's one of the interesting things also is if they have experience against those monsters, they're telling you a little bit more of, of those things to do, even though I kind of already knew it by that point. Cause I've, I've fought like a dozen Cyclopses now, 
but I think that's that's pretty cool that the the stronger they are, the more they're passing that information to you. Agreed. Um, there, there's a lot with pawns with like that. They also do it for quests. Like if a pawn has completed a quest in another game, they gain quest knowledge that they can impart on you and your group, which is kind of cool. Uh, coming back to combat, there's a lot uh, that I enjoyed about fighting those big monsters. There are a lot of Cyclops in this game. I got yes. a little sick of Cyclops. Yes. There are actually a lot more of those big monsters in the end game. And, like, oh, really? More variety to them. But you can target different areas which have different things, kind of like you were saying, Joey. Like if you, generally, if you light a Cyclops' feet on fire, the Cyclops will tumble to the ground. If you're fighting a winged enemy and you light its wings on fire, they'll usually come to the ground and everyone can pummel on it. And I thought that was really cool system well and even the smaller enemies so like the lizard men uh like if you chop off their tails they can't stand upright anymore and so then they're crawling on the ground so they're that much easier to hit and they're not as offensive and so it's one of those things where once you learn that trick it's like okay i'm gonna sneak around while my pawns are distracting them chop off like hit like three or four thwacks on the tail that gets chopped off and then it's just and everybody just sort of hacks at them which i think is really cool also I think this game would have been a tremendously different experience for me if I had played a melee character. Because, like, yeah. you guys are talking about this, like, my pawn was a warrior and did not chop tails off of them. Like, oh, occasionally, really? no, they were, did not target things very well. And there wasn't a great system for providing input. The uh, directional buttons allow you to tell a pawn to go, to come, <laughs> or to help. And uh, I just wish the pawns were smarter. Yeah. Like, you couldn't really tell them to target the eye. Like, if your main pawn did and got the armor off, great awesome yeah. easier for everyone but like not having direct control over that like i could tell my spells where to go but i couldn't tell my pawn where to effectively uh attack if in retrospect i wish i'd made my pawn just a support person like in case he did just with the different affinities for the different um uh types of magic and for healing i wish i would have made a healing support pawn as opposed to a warrior uh, it came in like super handy like you guys say like afterwards oh you're like having to give your pawn like i don't know what you did joey with your pawn but like that was mine it was basically set up 100 percent to be a healer so it would heal you during battle but it would also like help like enchant my weapons and stuff like that but afterwards you know anybody who had any any health that was knocked off she would heal the party almost back to 100 percent after every single encounter with with enemies so i was going fresh into it which is maybe part of the reason why i skipped over all of the herbs too because i didn't really need it as much however i will say that though my my initial encounter with the with the women's bandit camp was also a time when i switched my pawn i changed her from i forget what the next sub so she was a mage or whatever and then went on to the next one well when i did that i didn't realize that she lost her healing ability so that was a massive part of why that oh. quest was so hard for me oh. so like the first when i finally made it back to town i'm like screw this you are going back to that mage character so you can heal me again so that was a big 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 oops <laughs> Uh, do you have it, guys have any more thoughts on the combat, or should we talk more about the pawns? So the one interesting thing that I wanted to say about the combat is I am intrigued, seeing as how one of the main combat designers for Dragon's Dogma is the combat design lead for Final Fantasy XVI, I'm super interested to see how that, like what from this game is evidenced in the more action-oriented combat from what they've shown of Final Fantasy 16, and to what extent that's going to be, uh, it's going to be replicated. What's going to be there that's from that? What's going to be there that's more traditional Final Fantasy? I think that's a really interesting thing to look out for over the next couple of years whenever that game comes out. 
And thinking about Final Fantasy, were there many comparisons between Dragon's Dogma and Final Fantasy fourteen? Because that was also a party-based game, more of an action RPG than Final Fantasy had ever been. I recall a lot of exploration in the wilderness, but I know you spent a lot more time with Noctis than I did. Oh, with 15? 15, yeah, that one. Yeah. Not 14. 15. Um, there. So, I, I know things have changed with Final Fantasy 15, because I played it when it launched. I played it like the first month and a half after it launched. And so, then you could only really give commands and then do like linked attacks with the different characters but you couldn't control them. Now I think you can actually control all four characters and switch between them. And, but it's, it's not very similar because this, so the dragon's dogma, since you have the two input attacks, plus your special attacks that you can do, you have a lot more control over what you're doing in combat. Whereas Noctis in that you're really just kind of spamming the button and then choosing when to sort of leap away and then when to charge back in and when to do spells and when to switch weapons, uh, that would be the only thing that would maybe be a little bit uh, similar is, okay, I need this weapon because they're more effective against this type of enemy. But otherwise, it was much more, okay, once I get my weapon, uh, you just hold that button down and he keeps doing the attacks. And so I think Dragon's Dogma has more meat on the bones, uh, which is good then if that means Final Fantasy XVI, since it looks like it's going to be more action-oriented, might have more of that to it as well. Uh, since he's one of the main directors of it, as well as the director and producer of Final Fantasy XIV, I, I think that could be kind of a really interesting mix to have the combat from maybe Dragon's Dogma with the exploration of Final Fantasy XIV and the storytelling of Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, it, that could make it really cool. And so uh, who knows if it'll pay off or not, but I'm super interested to see how that all turns out. Yeah, me too. I'm super optimistic for it. Well, let's talk about the pawn system. Their pawns play a critical role in the world of Dragon's Dogma. Use them to fill out your party, basically. You have one that is with you the entire game. What are our thoughts on the pawn system? Casey, we'll start with you again. I thought it was really unique. Um, I've never seen anything really like it in a game before. I mean, obviously, there's lots of games where you're filling out your party with AI-driven characters, but being able to actually choose... Um, which character and you know having the portal system where you actually get to see pawns that other people from around the world have have created and then you can actually play as or not play as but have them join your team it was something i thought was super cool and unique um you know early in the game for me the pawns didn't seem to make a whole lot of difference um but definitely as, as the game advanced, that was something that uh, that you had to really manage a lot more. I had a very similar experience. I had Joey's pawn in, with my party in the beginning of the game. And then I got like 10 levels above. I'm like, you know, Wanda kind of sucks. I, I need to upgrade. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, you realize right away that, that once you start to level up that you definitely have to dump your the, the old pawns and start getting some, some better geared, higher level pawns in there to help you out on your journey. Yeah, I think that was probably the most clunky thing for me with the pawn system was, oh, shoot, I've been doing too much. Now I got to go swap out these people. And I guess I don't know if you get rid of them with all the stuff in their inventory. Does that just go to the other person? Doesn't go to the other person. I think it goes to your inventory. I don't think it's lost into the ether. Gotcha. And so I've been scared to find out. So I just like throw everything back onto me before I get rid of those people. I do like, though, that it allows you to tweak your party a bit. So 
so I created, I was a melee attacker basically. And so then I decided to create uh, Wanda to be like a ranged attacker. Now, the only problem with that is that there isn't a true, like even Ranger isn't just only range. You also have the, the rogue arms also. And so she kind of jumped between doing ranged and melee attack a lot of the time. And so then for the other two pawns that I would recruit from other people, it was basically having one more like fighter or something that was similar to me that was going to be doing like the, the fisticuffs and then finding somebody that has healing. And that was the main focus. And so it was really just like cycling through pawns in the rift until I found someone that had like two healing spells. And then it's like, okay, you're with me now. Mm. And, and so it's frustrating that you get used to using characters or you find a really good pawn that's knowledgeable about a lot of stuff, but then you over level it and you're like, okay, now I got to try to find somebody that does the same type of stuff as you do. Uh, but, but just, just better. <laughs> right. And so that's like the biggest frustration is I'd rather it, I could set it, forget it. They all level up with me. Uh, but it is also interesting to see different people and kind of cycle that in and out I, I think that it has its positives and its negatives in that sense. Uh, but it is nice to be able to to tailor the party to what you want to do at a certain point in the game. For me, what I always wanted to do was always the same. Like, I was range damage. My pawn, main pawn was melee damage, so I needed a healer. I always had to have a healer. That was number one. And then I always chose someone with a bow for number two. Gotcha. So, I mean, I could have mixed it up more, and if... I play more if I do New Game Plus and I end up changing my class, which I almost certainly will, and I change my Pawns class, maybe it'll be more fun and interesting. Uh, but early on, I liked shuffling through the Pawns, and I liked that game, but as I progressed towards the end game, it just got very tedious for me. It's like, oh, no, I turned in this quest and I gained a level. No, now they're three <laughs> levels behind me, and I just can't have it. I wonder if the Pawn system, I wonder if it's better balanced for you to be melee and them to be, like, ranged. I think almost certainly. Because I know, like, healing, I thought the pawns, as long as I had one that was at my level or a little bit above my level, I thought that they always did a good job of, like, of healing, 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 for the most part. There was a few times where it's like, come on, heal somebody for Christ's sakes. Uh, but I think that was pretty good. Uh, and then if you pick like a fighter as one of them, as long as they have like the taunt ability, they're usually pretty good of just like, I'm going to smack my shield and send everybody towards me. And so then I ended up being more of like the off fighter of just dashing between people and skewering them while they were like trying to pull all the aggro towards them. And so I found that it seemed like anyway, the party dynamics tended to work fairly well for me anyway. Casey, did your uh, warrior have a taunt ability? It did, yeah, and I almost never used it. <laughs> yeah, that would have been useful for me because I was often running for my life just trying to find a place to take a breath and cast my long, long, long spells. <laughs> I, I take it back. The fighter had a taunt ability. The, when you change to a warrior, you lose it because you don't no longer have the shield. So. so I was playing the game wrong the entire time. What I needed was a fighter in addition to my warrior as yes. opposed to a ranger with a bow and arrow. Huh, interesting. Well, now I know. I do plan to play a little bit more of the in-game stuff, so interesting. Yeah, kind of what you guys were saying back to... I I almost had that same team that Joey was talking about where, like, most of the time... And I still struggle during fighting, but having a warrior and having my 
mage is a healer, and then I would use almost always exclusively two rangers, where one was a ranged and one was a more of the the, the rogue. melee rogue. Yeah, where it would just come in and I don't know, just it was kind of funny when they do their little flip attack and just start knifing the hell out of whatever you were fighting. It was fun to watch. Never saw it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I the other thing about the pawn system that I really liked was when you found out that your pawn came back from like helping somebody else and then you get like that feedback system of the stars saying whether they were helpful whether their appearance was good and then whether they gave you like a gift and then how many of the rift crystals you ended up getting which is the currency you use to purchase pawns or well to rent pawns uh I thought that that was really cool. It's like, okay, I did my skills for my pawn. Oh, and somebody used them, and they actually really liked it. And that's awesome, you know. And I'm doing something right, apparently. Did that happen a lot for you? Not a single person ever used my pawn. And I spent a lot of time with this game. Like my pawn is pretty good. Really? My, I think my system was broken. Like every single time I would go into the rift and exit out of the rift, when it would like try to save, it would say like could not access Dragon Dogma servers. And then I would, like, so I'm like, okay, whatever. So then I would exit out of it, and then it would, like, save, and I'd get another error, like, whatever. So, like, I I have a feeling that my pawn never actually made it into the pawn-verse. I didn't have that same error. Maybe that was an Xbox issue, because Burns and I were both playing on PlayStation. But, yeah, I never got, uh, no one apparently ever used uh, Carnage. Huh. Yeah, Yeah, basically... Pretty much every time I've skilled up now recently, uh, I've I've she came back from working with somebody else. Really? Yeah. So it's huh. like been three times now. I never saw one when you used her, but uh, since then I've seen it. Maybe it's because we were friends. I don't remember having the option to give you anything. Because gotcha. It any, could have been. Anytime I had a covenant with a pawn, they always went back back with a rank fish and a thank you message. <laughs> I try to give them at least something useful, but... Yeah, so did I. A rank fish. Combine it. <laughs> He's giving them the rotting fish. <laughs> Thanks for your help. Here's a fish. Any fish other thoughts on pawns or the pawn system? I mean, overall, I was mostly positive on it. I, I thought there was a lot to like there, especially like the shared world stuff with the other pawns. But uh, I just wish they were smarter. And apparently I chose the wrong class for mine, so that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, once you, I, I think the, the thing about it is once you learn what you're looking for, I think it's much better. Uh, like, because basically every pawn you look at, you have to look at the details and look at what skills they have to see if they're the skills that you want. Uh, and, and, and sort of once I figured that out, then it was like, okay, now things seem to be going a little bit better. But the having to go back and, and swap out over and over again got a little old. Yeah, agreed. What about characters in Dragon's Dogma? Did any of the characters stand out to you? I'll start with uh, what I thought was the best one, the Duke, the ruler of this little kingdom on this small peninsula, the Duke, uh, Edmund Dragonsbane. I thought he was a very interesting and nuanced character. I don't think you guys got to interact with him very much. No, I didn't quite get there yet. Basically, you run some quests for him, and then you interact with him directly, and you see that he's a, a little bit unhinged. And, uh, and then at the end of the game, you realize you have to make a choice at the end of the game. When you go to fight the dragon, you make a choice and you find out how he chose and how that shapes, uh, everything in the world, basically. And that was super interesting to me. And I thought he was like the highlight of the characters. Did anyone stand out to either of you guys that you interacted with? 
I unfortunately think I spent way too much time doing side quests and exploring because I <laughs> I did not advance far enough. Um, you know, I'm like right before you get to meet the Duke, and prior to that, like I think all the characters are pretty bland. So no, yeah, unfortunately, I, I didn't. I think that's a big knock on the game. Like, there's no one interesting in the early game. There's no one interesting in the mid-game, really. Like, the Duke... If I listed all the characters that I thought were interesting in this game, it would be the Duke. Yeah, just him. (laughs) (laughs) There are a couple of other noteworthy characters that I'll get into, but, like... And one of the core aspects of this game is you're supposed to fall in love with someone. There's someone... Throughout your adventure, you're supposed to find somebody that you favor above all else, and that favors you above all else, because it ties into your encounter with the dragon. Do you think that changes with... So, like, in the very beginning of the game, you, like, get to, like, answer some questions. And, like, for me, that's what I chose as my... Like, I don't know what you chose. Like, one of the questions is, like, you know, in the end, what it, 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 what's most important or something, and it was, like conquest true love blah 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 and i chose love or whatever so i don't know if that's what you chose or not but i find i wonder if that changes depending on what you what you pick i'm not sure it uh it ties different characters have an affinity for you and there's several named characters throughout the game like the character that you can rescue early on in the beginning of the game i think your name is like quinoa or yeah. Noah or something quinoa. like that quinoa, quinoa. <laughs> quinoa. <laughs> which is ironically what i had for dinner tonight ah. um but she was tasty i mean it was tasty <laughs> exceptionally but throughout the game like you're gonna have encounters with these characters and somebody's gonna stand out you're gonna have the highest affinity with somebody and for me it was just a random merchant like you encounter just outside the main city or just outside the starting city and she's like hey you can have some money to start a shop i'm like all right here's some money i have lots of money and she runs off then you encounter in the grand soren and she's like hey i'm getting chased out of here can i have some more money to start another shop i'm like fine here's some more money and then i launch like the final conquest and like the dragon captures her he's like i'm gonna eat her i'm like (laughs) okay can i like have her stuff (laughs) see so that's the gal that i'm actually trying to make my 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 one madeline okay madeline i knew it started with an n but i couldn't remember that's so Um, funny and so so i saw at one point because you can hit the square button when you're in your inventory and sometimes it'll say certain people like those things. Mm. So she liked Cloudwine. So basically every time I find Cloudwine, I go to her and just give her Cloudwine. Yeah, so I'm basically getting her drunk to make her like me. <laughs> yes, just give her money. And like, here's the irony of it. Like the second time she wanted 50K to uh, set up her new shop. And like I had just spent all of my money completing another side quest. I just dropped 80K to buy a farm so that some people didn't get evicted. So like I literally had one 1,000 of whatever the currency is. Orins, maybe. I had 1,000 money on me. She's like, can I have 50k? And I'm like, sure. And it's like, 1,000 money gone, and I get the achievement for maximum affinity. I'm like, oh, all right. Wow. <laughs> I wound up being cheaper than I expected. Hooray. You know, it would be really interesting to see, because, like, I've had those same interactions. You know, I brought her to the first fort, and that was it, and she asked me for the money. I said no, and I have not interacted with her a single time since then. Yeah, I just, so I wonder what's going to happen like if I never speak to her again, like the rest of the game. There is a, uh, I think it's a main story quest. I can't recall, but basically one of the other named characters who has no connection to anything else and is just randomly dangling in this universe uh, goes to see her to buy something. I'm like, oh, there's your shop. Okay, I'm going to come back here later. And I came back later and like she had just like run out being chased by guards. I'm like, oh, interesting. And, <laughs> 
I don't know. It was just a weird choice for the character that I love most of all in the world. Uh, for a character that didn't stand out for me, the Duchess. The Duke has a wife, and uh, he has her locked away in a tower, and, like, there's a quest to, like, go talk to her. And, like, you go and you talk to her, and, like, she professes this undying love. I'm like, I've never met you before. Like, what's going on? And then, like, the Duke bursts in, and, like, he starts to, like, murder her in front of you. And it's, like, super dark. And, like, then she turns on you, and you get thrown in the dungeon. And it's just, like, weird. And then there's another quest after that where, like, he ships her off to the Blighted Mansion. You have to go and, like, rescue her and then escort her out of the uh, mansion. And it's just, like... That was the first time I had sex with a character in this game. Same, uh, <laughs> uh, same gem, same gender, sex. I was like, oh, well, that progressed quickly. I guess she really did love me. Do you, do, well. do you get a new skill tree for this? No, no. <laughs> R one are three of the positions, and L one are the other three positions. No, they just lie down on the bed, and then like you ask her out of the mansion, which is a really fun and interesting and well done quest. But then like she's gone forever, and it's like. Why is this character in the game? It's like, she's in love with me even though she's never met me. And then, I don't know. It was just weird. It sounds like one of the characters in the anime. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Uh, and then there's another, there's like this eternal, there's this immortal character that called the Dragonforge. And they like build him up like he's going to be this big thing. And he's just like a dude sitting in a cave. And like if you go talk to him before you fight the dragon, he gives you a thing to help you fight dragons. Really? And that's all, that's all that ever comes of him? You kill the dragon and he dies. I don't understand why. I uh, I read the wiki and they're not super clear on it there either. Like <laughs> maybe he uh, fought the dragon, but then didn't go to do the end, end, end thing in the game. He didn't go see Savan to try to become the god of the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just weird. Just another weird dangler there. And there's a couple other people in the court that you meet and you do a quest or two with and. Like, Mercedes is a really interesting-looking character, and you find out that her kingdom had sent her as aid, and it turns out it was, like, a backhand, because instead of, like, sending an army, they send one female warrior who's, like, of royal blood, but, like, and then she uh-huh. and another character get into it. It's like, oh, well, that was interesting. I wish there was more of you, and then she's gone forever. She's like, here's my rapier. I'll be back. And she never comes back. So if... So th- she's one of them that died when I was trying to escort her somewhere. Oh, interesting. Do you know, do they actually die-die, or are they just gone for a while and pop back up? I have to assume that they pop back up, because she is involved in a story quest later. So I'm guessing that's what it is. She just, like, ran away. You didn't escort her there. Because it it was her and then the uh, Casardis village leader that both, like, I tried to escort, and then they, they, I failed those missions, so... Yeah, the escort missions are brutal. Yes. I just... This will tie into our thoughts on the overall narrative. Like, the characters are all just so disjointed and weird and, like, yeah. not very interesting. And that was kind of a bummer in this game for me because there were a lot of things that I liked. But for me, the overall narrative just, uh, there were some interesting pieces, but the game failed to draw them together in any meaningful or interesting way. Because, I mean, it seems like the only real interesting thing is your interaction with the dragon, right? And and, and how you're tied to the dragon now. Uh, and I'm guessing that. You know, I didn't finish the game, but I'm guessing that the end of the game is like the end of the anime. And so to some extent, some of that stuff comes into play at the end. Um, Not necessarily. Okay. There is a way that that could happen, uh, but it didn't happen for me when I slayed the dragon. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. You drop back into the world and uh, the Duke ages 50 years because of 
it kind of undoes the deal that he made with the dragon and he tries to get you killed and like Grand Soren gets ripped apart into a portal that uh, is a never-ending tunnel and that's like the end game dungeon like you have to jump into this portal and like if you don't grab onto a ledge while you're falling by like you just keep shooting down all the way through the world and then you appear back at the top of the tunnel and you just fall down you can just fall endlessly forever like Bill and Ted like portal wow Never played Portal. Oh, okay. You never played Portal? Never played Portal. What? Yeah. You call yourself a gamer? Yeah. Uh, I know the cake is a lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, did you guys have any thoughts on the narrative? I know you both got to Grand Soren and then struggled with what to do next. Like, this game really fails at drawing you through that main story. Like, it doesn't seem like there's a compelling push other than, like, here's a big checklist of things to do. Yeah, I, I, coming to find like I'm just not very good at reading in games. <laughs> so like I knew that I had this piece of you know this the Wavern or uh, hunt certificate to meet the dude. I didn't really know what the heck I was supposed to do with it. Like I, I vaguely remember like after you kind of explaining how I needed to get to the next part, them telling, oh yeah, he did tell me that if when I wanted to continue on my quest to go here. So, but it just like completely escaped me and like. I just kind of wandered around aimlessly doing side quests for a long time, which which helped. But uh, you know, like overall, like the narrative was okay. I mean, it, for me, like it's it just odd. Like I just had my heart ripped out by a dragon, and you wake up, you have no heart. It's like, all right, you're the awoken, you're the chosen one. Like you have to get your heart back, and like that's all that <laughs> that's all that really would matter to me, I guess, at that point in time. Like, who who cares about doing all these other just random weird side quests? Like, I guess you 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 need to get stronger, you need to get better, you need to become this ultimate warrior to take down the dragon. But just all the weird kind of stuff they have you go through, which I guess you don't really have to go through. But if you if you don't, you're not going to be very strong. But I don't know. It was just just weird, you know, like running through the countryside. Guarding wagons, making friends with the duke so you can hunt the worm. Like, just I, I, I want to fight the dragon. I want to, I want to just fight bad guys, fight the dragon, be done. So, like, where what I experienced thus far really wasn't great, but it was I don't know, good enough to keep the narrative moving. I guess. Yeah, you should play Diablo. I think Diablo three would be your jam. Just hack and slash and level up and kill stuff. Sounds perfect. Yeah, it's a fun game. It's really fun. <laughs> Though, I, I still do think that Diablo, I mean, it's not like super story heavy, but it still has a pretty solid story to it at its best times anyway. Um, I, It's weird because yeah, none of the characters are that interesting yet to me. Uh, I, I'm intrigued to see like where all of this is going and to maybe find out more about the pawns. But the mission where I thought I was supposed to learn out more more about the pawns, you're just going down the spiral staircase, and oh, there's lots of tentacles down here. Time to run back up, and it's like, I like, it's it 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 leads me to thinking that this is where I'm going to find out more information about the world. But it's just like, oh, here's something else that's happening. <laughs> Come back and talk to us about it. It's that, so weird. That's like my biggest frustration with both the game and the anime is not learning more about the pawns or their motivation yeah. or seeing any growth or change in them. And like the game, spoiler alert, it just leaves you hanging. It doesn't tell you anything about the pawns. <laughs> you don't learn anything more. Like you have this pawn that is your constant companion from the beginning. And like there's never an exposition other than like, I think there's ore in these hills. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, thanks. Cool. Go get it. You have a pickaxe, mule. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a huge disappointment overall like 
if they had to focus on something, I'm glad they nailed the combat because like walking around and fighting stuff was fun. I just I wish there was more to the narrative. Well, and like connected storylines that you see through a, a series of quests, right? It doesn't. And granted, I'm not deep enough to really know that, but it doesn't really seem like there's many of those. No, there aren't. There are like two quests for the people in court that kind of tie together. And it's like, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's... I was just going to ask you, like, does the witch pop back up? But then again, you wouldn't know because you didn't do that quest. So... I was not even aware there was a witch in the game. Well, there there really isn't, (laughs) is the weird thing that you find out at the end of that. Uh, Because, yeah, you you find Quinna... And then you get to the witch's house, and the witch is dead, but there's, like, a kid there. Hmm. And the kid doesn't remember anything. And you're like, okay, well, time to leave the woods. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, maybe you'll pop back up later, I guess. I don't know, but... It seems like some of the stuff's going to interweave together a little bit later, but not enough of it. And so, I don't know. It, It feels like there's some missed opportunities, and maybe it's just because we've been spoiled by other people that have done the stories in these types of games better. And it's hard to do something like that with your first effort into something. And if they would have had a second chance at a dragon's dogma two, and maybe they'll do that at some point, but it probably won't be the same developers. They're probably spread out across however many different you know places now. Uh, like that's where you can really start to get your narrative legs kind of going uh, and maybe they could develop that out more to make it a, a more deeper system and more interesting system and a more interesting world that you interact with and feel tied to. It's interesting. The game that I thought about most while playing this was Dragon Age Inquisition, which I played, I beat, I didn't necessarily love it. Like the moment to moment action wasn't particularly fun to me, but I thought the story was interesting and they did a lot of stuff right. So I guess I wish these two games could kind of be merged. Like the storytelling chops of, uh, oh, who made Dragon Age? Bioware. Bioware, of course. Thank you. Um, Like the storytelling chops of Bioware, at least in their past iterations, with the moment-to-moment action of Dragon's Dogma, I think that would be really something. That would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Just a missed opportunity, I think. And and, and as someone that really likes narrative, uh, it's a little unfortunate. But luckily the combat is good enough to, to still find interest in the game. Yeah. Well, final thoughts and takeaways on Dragon's Dogma. I had a lot of fun in this game. Like, I poked at a lot of stuff. The inventory management was brutal. Fast travel could have used some improvements. The narrative was bland and disjointed. The characters all pretty much stunk. But all of that being said, I loved my time with this game. And, like, I look forward to every moment that I could spend playing it. I stayed up way too late every night for the last week just trying to get through the story, see some of the endgame stuff. It took me 25 hours to beat the game. And uh, really, the post-game stuff is so much better than the game itself. Oh, really? It's really interesting. There's uh, there's just more monsters to fight, more interesting monsters. I know you guys both wandered to Bitterback Island early in the game, and that is... Like level 7? Yeah, that is near in-game content. <laughs> that was brutal. I died in a hurry there. I, I ran away, luckily, but yeah, I realized these things were way stronger than I was and just ran. Well, they do something... They do a couple of things that are super interesting there, and I believe this is expansion content for Dark Arisen, but yes. Bitterback Island is like a separate area with separate loot. They actually tell a story about a dragon who deceived another Arisen, and this like island is kind of their... Like, punishment for agreeing to the dragon's deal and uh it's pretty 
What I've explored of it so far is pretty interesting. They introduce a new mechanic when you kill everything your first time through. They repopulate with stronger monsters that are eating the carrion. And so, like, oh, I pressed out to, like, the end of this area. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I made it to the end here. And then, like, I start walking back, and then suddenly there's a giant dragon, like, standing in this chamber that I just cleared out. I'm like, oh, cool, I get to fight a big dragon now. And he just killed me, like, 15 times before I realized... <laughs> I don't have the chops for this. So I, I run by the dragon. And I'm starting to run by. And now there's a giant gorilla in these hallways with me. And like, he keeps killing all my pawns. And like I can't get away because I have to sprint back and revive my pawns because yep. I don't want to lose the stuff on them. I was like, oh, yeah, these guys are really hard. And it was just it was an interesting mechanic that they brought in for the end game. So like I need to go to Bitterback Island to gain more levels and get some more gear for like the big post game dungeon. And then once I get through that, I can go have like the final, final encounter and determine whether or not I'm going to become a god or not but it's just interesting it's interesting that like the most interesting the fighting is the highlight of this game the most interesting fights are after the story is done huh that's kind us- of disappointing usually when i see a game's credits roll i'm done with it forever like god of war was an amazing game and yeah. i love my time with that i beat it never going back not fighting the valkyries not doing any of that after that dragon's dogma i actually see myself spending more time with huh yeah that's interesting i mean so, like, at least enough of the game was interesting enough to tie you to it, which is good. Uh, I think a lot of the things that I struggle with in the game are probably because it's an, it's an older game. And games have come out since then that have done a lot of these things better, but it's hard to judge this against those things uh, instead of judging them against the stuff that came before it. And, and so those are, those are the things that I struggle with when, like, my, with my final takeaways is, like, like, the quests in the map. I struggled forever. I still struggle with how to find where the quests are on the map. And it's so clunky to have to bring up the side table to highlight the things. And, okay, this is there. Switch it. Okay, this is there. I can't zoom out so I can see everything at the same time. You can't have it so all of the stuff shows up at the same time necessarily. It's just I I struggled mightily with, with that. Interesting. Maybe I was a little more focused in my questing, but like I would choose, like I'd look at the quest and I'd decide what I wanted to do. And then I'd look at that one specifically on the map. Because once you have the quest highlighted, you can pull up the map and there's generally a red circle unless it's like a hidden thing you have to find in a certain like area of the map. So that wasn't nearly as big an issue for me. Yeah, I, 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 it just, that was a constant frustration. And then also I started grabbing like the notice board quests uh, and I grabbed like the wrong ones. Like I grabbed the ones where you got to find the medallions in the different places. And it's just like, well, this is dumb. Why am I going? And apparently that was a 99 cent DLC that you bought on like the Xbox 360 or PS3 uh, <laughs> that just gave you more to do in the game. And, and and so it's like, okay, well, I picked the wrong ones <laughs> of that because I didn't pick any of the interesting things. Uh, and eventually I picked the ones where it's just like kill a bunch of things. And once you kill a bunch of things, you get the stuff. And, and those are those are a bit bit better anyway. Uh, so, so apparently, don't ruin my microphone. I, I didn't. It fell. <laughs> there we go. I think we're better now. I didn't even touch it. It just got lopsided. Apparently, uh, hopefully we're still okay. Looks like it. <laughs> uh, I, I just so one of the groups that I follow online is called. They're called Easy Allies. They used to be at game trailers, and they they call certain games swimming in sevens. So it's like, it would be a 7.0 on the scale. 
There's lots of fun to be had. It has its issues, but it's still a fun game and you'd still recommend it to people. And I think that's where Dragon's Dogma falls. Is it it is to me like the quintessential swimming in sevens game. Like a lot of the times once we finish a game for the podcast, uh, I, I'm done with it too. Uh, if I haven't finished it, uh, I want to see this through to the end because I want to see like what other abilities I unlock and how difficult some of these battles get and what it is that actually does happen at the end and what choices I'm, I'm, I'm able to make with it. I think a lot of that seems interesting and I'm intrigued by like where this is going, even though I know not most of it's going to pay off. I still want to see it through to the end if I can. So, uh, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. I am still enjoying it. I'm hoping to continue to enjoy it more. Yeah, same for me. Um, I My only regret is that I spent, I think, just way too much time in the beginning of the game exploring and doing side quests where I should have probably pushed the narrative a little bit more. Um, but it's still something that even though you know, there's plenty of times where I struggled in the game and had, had um, frustrations, it's the same thing. I'm looking forward to actually trying to finish it and getting through to the end and seeing where it goes. And like you said, developing my character even even more, and you know, just finding bigger, better pawns, and and pushing through to the to the end to to see if my story is any different or or, or how things if if it changes depending on my other interactions in the game. Well, because so Tom, it took you twenty five hours to finish the game. You were level thirty four when you beat it. Oh gosh, I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm it up was to like something like that, right? Yeah, I'm up to forty five now, but the levels come pretty quick in the post game because you're fighting some pretty BA monsters. Yeah, and so I'm twenty one hours in and level twenty seven, and I think I'm at like the midish point of the story because I'm just about to go beat the Duke. I'd say about two thirds. Two thirds, okay, yeah, and so. Uh, I, I also, I think Casey and I have taken a similar path through the game where we, we've we delved down the side story stuff a lot and didn't find fast travel fast enough. And so we kind of got bogged down a little bit in that. But I'm still interested in finishing, th- or finishing through. Yeah, it's a fun game. We can recommend it for anyone that likes a fantasy RPG with lots of stuff to upgrade. And uh, it's got some fun mechanics. It's It's a pretty interesting game. We're going to move on now. We're going to do a top five. I'm going to turn it over to Burns for the top five RPG systems. Did the pawn system make the cut? It's time now for... Tom Awesome's Top 5 Countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Number five is... The job system, probably what what people would say would be the most classically famous system in Final Fantasy, started in Final Fantasy 3, came of age a little bit more in Final Fantasy 5, I think to our generation is much more well known as the portion of Final Fantasy Tactics. Basically, you have all of these different jobs and you have different characters that can be the different jobs and you're working on leveling those up, giving them new abilities and trying to use the right person in the right place at the right time. Uh, Different games do it different ways. For Bravely Default, you're switching them between like your four set characters, which is very similar to FF5 and FF3. Uh, but the job system, I think, fits in nicely at number five because there's not a ton other than Bravely Default that's really current games that really use it. And you're aware that number five is the worst spot on this list and not the best spot on this list. Oh, yes, yes. I'm aware of how 
uh, countdown lists work, Tom. Yeah, job system is the best system in any RPG. Specifically, the job system in Final Fantasy Tactics, which is my favorite game, should be number one. Number uh, one. I don't think so. I think that it falls behind other systems like number four. Before you get there, please tell me at the end of this list that you're actually going to have an RPG system and not like an art style as number one. It's not an art style. All right, good. No, it's good. not an art style. Yeah, it's not a robot again yeah it's the terminator system uh, <laughs> uh so number four is the materia system in final fantasy 7 and final fantasy 7 remake it, it's it's it seems like a simple system right but the level of customizability that you have to be able to slot those between different users and use different combinations uh, and, and basically being able to have different builds for your different characters especially in Final Fantasy VII when it came out, uh, was to an extent revolutionary. Uh, and I think in Remake, it it takes it even a step further to really integrate well with a little bit more action-oriented uh, style of game. And so to see where that started from, which was the Magicite system in Final Fantasy VI, where you learned magic spells as you had that. Once you got 100%, well, you're good. And you can just jettison that forever. You never need to touch that again. Uh, with the materia, it's better as you level up, and you want to keep that on certain characters uh, to really be able to uh, push out the damage and do some crazy stuff. And so, I think materia system slots in very well at number four. Uh, number four. Number three is the social link system in Persona Three, Four, and Five. Uh, I think the the coolest thing about social links. So, what social links are is. Basically, you are building up relationships with all of the different characters, either that are in your party or some of the other main NPCs within the game. And sometimes it's even like the main antagonist or one of the antagonists that you are building up a relationship with throughout the game. And as you're doing that, you're leveling up your abilities in one of the different arcana in the game. And basically, you're going to be able to get stronger persona and your personas are going to have more powers uh, the more that you level that up. Uh, also, as it's evolved into Persona 4 Golden and Persona 5, as you level up your characters, you get more abilities with those characters in the dungeons. And so in Persona 5, if you level up your relationship with Ryuji to the max level, which is 10, uh, he'll take an attack for you. He'll be able to uh, do a combo attack sometimes with you. Like you get different abilities with them as you level them up. And so it incentivizes you to do the social aspects of the game, which is one of the main points of Persona. Uh, and and then all of that stuff feeds back into making you stronger in battle and a more cohesive team. So it's a gamification of the actual narrative that you're building with them, which I think is, is really sweet and novel. And I don't know that a lot of other games do it as well as like the social link system does. I still think your list is inverted, but proceed. <laughs> so number two, you might agree with me on number two then. Uh, so this is the computer D&D isometric system. So looking at Baldur's Gate, Planescape Torment, uh, I would say it would go into Divinity Original Sin 2 to an extent. It's not D&D related, but that, that CRPG isometric view combat style system, I think is super cool it, it allows you to do lots of different things. Those games, if you look at Icewind Dale, Baldur's Gate, Planescape Torment, they're very different games. Uh, 
that uh, have very different settings, but it all has kind of that same that same setting uh, that 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 allows you to sort of interact with the world in that way. And a lot of it's dialogue driven too, uh, which is good because you're able to make choices as you go through the game also. And then that. Uh, does like the dice rolls in the background that will uh, see how good of a job you do at actually uh, carrying out a skill. And so I think that is something that uh, isn't beaten by a lot of the other a lot of the other game systems. Yeah, it's not one I would have thought of, but a really great call. So honorable mentions that I had, uh, I put three down here. I'm sure there are more, uh, but these are the ones that I could think about here at this point. And so I had, and these are in no particular order. So I had the stars system. So the stars of destiny in the Suicoden series. And I really thought that this would have made your list because you loved the original Suicoden. You just played it and it is a cool system. Yeah. So basically you have 108 people that you can draft into your group. And some of them you have to do different things. Some of them you just automatically get based upon the story. But it's all about like interacting with as many NPCs as you can. And, and eventually you're going to find out, hey, this person is going to be coming and being a shopkeeper in my fort. And then as you get more of these people that do different things, you're able to do different attacks in your massive battles throughout the game. And then you're able to uh, have more abilities that you can do within your fort instead of having to go to a town to do that. Uh, this is something that if you ask me in a year after I play Sui Coden 2, it might leapfrog some of the things that are on my list uh, lower down. It is better in 2. Like, everything is better in yeah. 2. Like, 2 is just a masterpiece and probably one of the most criminally underrated games out of all of RPG history. Yeah, and so so there is a good chance that it leaps up there. We live in an age of constant remakes and remasters. Why have these games not been re-released in a way that we can play them outside of our Vita? So, Konami is weird. I think that's a lot of what it is. We have Castlevania remakes. Casey, you played those garbage old games with me. <laughs> yeah, they're super fun. Everybody should go play Castlevania. Well, it's because Castlevania is Castlevania, and Suikoden was never as popular as Castlevania, um, and so I think that's a lot of what it was, and now most of those developers don't work at Konami anymore, they're making their own thing, Ayudin Chronicle, and uh, like they're going to be the ones that are going to be sort of carrying that torch forward. I don't think Konami is... I don't want a new torch, I want Suikoden 1 and 2 on my big fancy TV looking all sharp. <laughs> Well, get a PlayStation TV then, Tom, and then you could hook that up to there and you can play that if you bought it on the Vita store. I do have it on the Vita store, See? but I don't want to get a PlayStation TV. It's I don't nice. even know how it works or what it is. I asked you if I could borrow yours. Yeah, but you wouldn't be able to. But it's like a cybernetic implant? like. No, it's just it's tied to my account and, and you can't you can't switch it over to your account without wiping everything off of my hard drive. And I need my Suicoden 1 save because I'm going to carry that over into Suicoden 2. We need these games remastered. Anyways, what else yes. is on your list? Uh, so I did put the pawn system in Dragon's Dogma specifically because it is so novel and it's interesting and it has that, that connective element to other people, which I think a lot of other single-player RPGs just don't do, uh, mostly because you know they existed at a time where you, you couldn't do that. Uh, but it would be interesting to see more like companies or more RPG developers try things like that. I think Bravely Default does a few things that have interactions with other people uh, and Bravely Default 2 also does. Uh, but I'd like to see more of those things. Uh, I think the pawn system at its time for what it did was revolutionary. And so that's why I put it on here. And then I also have the Sphere Grid for Final Fantasy X. The Sphere Grid was super fun. Uh, 
I, I really bounced between this, the job system, and materia system as to which one should be in the top five or not. Uh, the sphere grid, I think, was really cool to make sort of make your choices as to each character. How, how do you want them to get stronger at um, as you go through the game? And, and once you get through those opening areas, it really spreads out more. And so uh, that that's the last honorable mention that I have. So let's, in case, did you have any honorable mentions? You don't play a lot of RPGs. No. <laughs> Joey is really smart. <laughs> Joey plays a lot of games, and Joey is very articulate. Joey, I'm so thankful that you do Outside is Overrated with me. Thank hey, you, my friend. Hey, you're welcome. <laughs> do you have any honorable mentions, Tom? Oh, I mean, Final Fantasy, the job system is always number one, and that's what inspired me to suggest this as a list. Like, I love the job system. I love upgrading each one of the jobs and buying each one of the abilities within each one of the jobs and seeing how they tie together. Uh, so, no. No, I don't have anything to add. <laughs> I guess uh, the romance system in the Bioware games. Like, I'm not super into hooking up my main character with all the other ones, but I thought it was interesting that it was there, and I thought it was some interesting connections, whether it was uh, with Bastilla and Knights of the Old Republic, whether it was uh, my Duder and Dragon Age. I just... People love those systems, and I think they're interesting. Well, number one is the Bioware Dialogue Tree and Paragon system, which also includes the romance system. Interesting. I view them as entirely separate things. I guess I focused on the Paragon Renegade system as opposed to uh, the interpersonal relationships. So that, the, But that all does feed together. So like you say the different things to the different characters and that inter- affects whether you're going Paragon and Renegade to some extent. Also, your actions do that too. But if you are mean to certain NPCs, you're going to go more Renegade. If you're nice to them, you're going to go more Paragon. Uh, so I think all of that stuff does kind of filter into each other. And uh, the interesting thing is, is I actually have not played many Bioware games, but I absolutely love the Knights of the Old Republic. And I you really, love you love narrative RPGs, but you haven't played many Bioware games. I, I own a lot of them. I own Dragon Age Origins. I own Dragon Age Inquisition. I own now the Mass Effect Collection, and I just <laughs> haven't had a chance to go through and play them yet. But from Knights of the Old Republic and Star Wars: The Old Republic, I loved what they do with the dialogue and how it's impactful as you go through the game, the different relationships that you build with the different characters, and then how all of that then filters into whether you're being a by-the-book good guy or either a sort of not-so-by-the-book renegade or a complete bad dark side person in Knights of the Old Republic. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really cool. It gives you agency as to how you're crafting the story and the fact that they have endings that tie into those different like those different decisions I think is really cool and, and I love that in games. And so that's why I would put that as number one. Even though I haven't played as many of them, I know it's phenomenal. Yeah. Well, good list. Casey, you have any thoughts? No. Uh, Games that, are fun. That was, yeah, that was really, really good. <laughs> what did we miss? Tweet your thoughts to at TomSidLogicOIO or email overratedpod at gmail.com. That is overratedpod at gmail.com. Hey, guys. Uh, frequent listener Pete James wrote in. He said, uh, the other day I was wrestling with my roommate. And wrestling and roommate are in quotation marks. I'm not really sure why. But uh, he said, she's younger and more nimble than I am. Anyway, I was just about to throw down my signature move, something I like to call the high hole silver, when my back went out. 
Do you guys have any suggestions for where I can go to have it looked at? We sure do. Thank you for listening, Patrick James. Check out Premier Health. They have solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident and wrestling injuries, and more. We suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That is PremierHealthMN.com. Moving on to our other main topic today. In September 2020, Dragon's Dogma, the anime, release on Netflix. There are seven episodes, each a half hour or less. The show follows one main character, Ethan, who is an Arisen. In the beginning episode, he loses his village, he gets his heart ripped out, and he becomes an Arisen. And then he meets a pawn that he names Hannah. And they adventure through seven episodes to face their destiny with the dragon. Uh, I thought we'd start with a quick background with our anime. I am not super experienced. I've watched a couple of shows and a couple of movies. Generally speaking, I like anime, but I'm not super familiar with it. Casey, I think you're in a similar boat to me. Yeah, probably even less than you, Tom. Um, I So, my main experience is probably Castlevania, which, like we said, I really probably wouldn't have even watched had it not been for this show. Uh, other than that, I've seen you know just some random episodes of Dragon Ball Z and some other things, but... Uh, it's starting to become something that I am enjoying and, and hope to be able to watch more. And Joey, I think you're on the other end of the spectrum. I think you are much more experienced with anime than Casey and I combined. Probably, but uh, not to the extent that like actual anime fans probably would be. I had a time frame from when I was 16 to 22 where I was hardcore in anime. I really loved it. And so most of the anime is stuff that I watched way back then. So Cowboy Bebop, Neon Genesis Evangelion, Trigun... Like, those are my favorite anime. Uh, otherwise, since then, other than, like, the shows we watched for uh, the anime episode that we did, and then I've been watching the Castlevania anime, which isn't actually an anime. It's an anime-inspired animated show uh, because it's not made in Japan, so it technically can't be anime. Uh, but anyway... Uh, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. It has to be made in Japan in order to be actually considered anime. All right. Um, it, it, nobody gets their undies in as much of a bundle as anime fans do about something being, this is not anime, actually. It's a, you know. So I think, just wanted to throw that out there in case people were like spitting at the wall when we were talking about Castlevania oh, anime. Uh, but so yeah, but... I haven't seen a lot of stuff since then. I, I've watched the first couple episodes of One Punch Man, uh, and I really haven't seen a ton of anime in the last probably decade and a half. <laughs> well, this is going to be a great discussion. We're all super well qualified to <laughs> break down Dragon's Dogma. Let's start with the overall art style. Uh, Joey, let's start with you on this one. What do you think of the arts, art direction in the show? I mean, I thought it was fine. It didn't really stand out to me in in any real way. I think there's a lot more artistic stuff that's done in Castlevania than is really done in this. And maybe it's just because there's a lot more of Castlevania than this. Uh, I think the I think the art style is fine. I mean, the characters the characters look decent enough, uh, and, and the the world is pretty well like represented from what I saw in some of the different parts of uh, of, of the game, and so I think that was kind of cool to see Casardis then just get completely demolished at the beginning of the game, and it's like yeah, that kind of looks like what it looked like, and 
Yeah, I agree with a major caveat. I thought it looked fine until there was a big monster. Yeah. And in an IP that deals with big monsters, like I feel like you start with making them look good and then you worry about everything else. Like it's like they changed like whatever the animation was, like it, they look so crappy. They look like they were drawn in a completely different system, and it drove me. It shattered the immersion for me, and it just drove me crazy. Well, so, so yeah, so the characters in the world are drawn in a very like anime, like hand drawn style. I mean, I'm sure everything's done by computer, but it, that's in the hand drawn style. Whereas all the monsters are CG. Why didn't they just make the whole show CG, or why didn't they like do the hand drawn style for the monsters? I don't understand why the monsters were different and. So far inferior. I'm guessing they wanted that to mirror the game. And so it's like, this looks like the, a dragon from the game. Or this looks like... So I think that's why they made it like more digital as opposed to that. And since they're monsters, they could stand out and look different compared to all the people that need to look more uniform. I can see why you wouldn't like it. I actually didn't mind the way the monsters look. I mean, especially the dragon. Like, I thought the dragon looked fine. I thought the hydra looked fine. Uh, I, I, I didn't have as much, I guess, uh, uh, as many qualms about it as you did. Casey can be the tiebreaker vote. What did you think? And if we do disagree with Casey, we'll tweet charge. <laughs> no, I, I kind of agree more with Tom. Like I thought at times the dragon looked actually pretty good, but like for me, like it almost looked like they cut it out of paper and like pasted it over top of <laughs> what we were watching you know like it was so maybe the animators themselves were really good and whoever they hired for the cg just wasn't that good <laughs> at their job but like it, it definitely like overall i thought it was okay like it actually reminded me a lot of some of the animation in uh in castlevania where you know the, the background and the, and the character style and stuff it actually was pretty similar um and even the way the characters fought but yeah the just there were at times where it, it did just look a little bit off. I thought it looked worse than a little bit off. There were times when I was like, oh, God, he's fighting a monster again. Please, no more Cyclops. <laughs> it's it's definitely discordant. I would give you that. I, I, I wouldn't say it looked awful, but it's discordant for sure. You're a nicer person than me. Let's move on to the main protagonist, Cool oh. Ethan. Uh, what did we think of his arc? Casey, an arc. I was there an arc? I don't know. Like it, it just I seemed believe like... he's what would be called a flat arc character. He was off to fight the dragon because he was the good guy and the dragon was the bad guy. And so that was his arc. That's something Scott explained to me on the anime show. Bernsey, you taught English. Is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, he'd definitely be flat arc because it's just like ramping up rage. That's what happens from episode one to episode seven. He just gets more angry and taps into dragon anger. And, and, and that's that. Uh, there's nothing. There's literally the backstory is a little interesting with him, which ties into I think episode five a bit. Uh, but otherwise, there's no there's no real development at all. Like there's more development with Hannah the pawn than there is actually with him. Uh, I thought he was a completely boring generic character, and to have that be your protagonist. That's not a good thing. Like, video games have silent protagonists. <laughs> Actual, like, shows should not have silent protagonists. They need to, They can't be white bread. You have to have something interesting with them. And, and this, the, Ethan was not interesting in any way, shape, or form. I mean, he, he was as interesting as his name. 
Ethan. Cool Ethan. Cool Ethan. The only way that he changed it all was early on in the show, he was answering every call for help, and Hannah called him out for it at one point. She's like, we can't answer every call for help along the way, and he's like, we could try. And then he just becomes a rage monster. And like yes. that was the only evolution of the character. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like you said, it's it's interesting, like you say, like how he, how he did that. And it's kind of funny because that's how I was in the game where I was like constantly like, oh, this person needs me. I, I need to help that. Except for evidently the, the one person that you're supposed to fall in love with. And I was like, you want money? Screw yourself. <laughs> but, <laughs> but everybody else, I, I tried to help. So I think it was kind of funny that we had the same parallel. Um, and a quick clarification there. There's a number of characters in the game that you can fall in love with. The one that the dragon picked for me was just the random merchant, which I thought was super funny. And I wonder if she's just like the default if you don't really max other people out. I guess if it's, that's the only one you maxed out, then that would be why. Yeah, I think the default is actually the Duke's confusing wife. Oh, seriously? Yeah, that's what I read on the wiki. There, It wasn't confirmed, but that the leading suspicion was that the Duke's uh, was the default beloved, or the Duchess. Interesting. Oh, so you got to just... Like play the game a little bit and you know hooked up with both of them hooked up with two girls yeah oh way to go yeah (laughs) Uh, but yeah like I don't know like he he was just yeah pretty pretty boring and like said the only real twist was if you want to call it twist it's just his his battle with his his inner rage and like it, it, it didn't really do much of anything the inner rage thing was so strange and it ties into my thoughts on the overall narrative well first off i don't understand each episode is tied to one of the seven deadly sins and i thought maybe after playing the game that would make sense but it doesn't like i don't i don't understand like the word dogma has some religious connotations Uh like apparently accepting that jesus christ was conceived immaculately is a dogma i wasn't super familiar with the meaning of the word coming into this but i just it, it what an odd choice and it I never understood why they did it. See, I learned the the word dogma from the Kevin Smith movie. Um, it's been an awfully long time since I watched Dogma. I remember the turd demon. The, yes, there was <laughs> the, the turd gold demon. goblin yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I like. So I just I just expected that. Oh, that's a part of the game that I didn't get to yet. So to hear you say it has nothing to do with the seven deadly sins, I think is funny then, because I don't know why they chose to do that. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't tie to the game in any way, shape, or form. I suppose that was just... Didn't seem to tie to the narrative in any way, shape, or form. It's like, well, how many episodes? Oh, there's seven deadly sins. Let's do seven half hours. I See, I think, like, for me, and I'm just trying to, like, maybe put myself in their head. Like, where... I mean, a dogma doesn't necessarily have to be a religious connotation. So I think it may just be a coincidence that the seven deadly sins... Like, a dogma is basically just a, a rule that is set in stone like it's it is what it is kind of like you said accepting jesus christ as your savior which is every christian supposed to do that's the dogma dogmatic principle of christianity for the seven deadly sins like i think it was just kind of a, an easy way for them to showcase every single episode here's a deadly sin here's here's man committing this deadly sin and then like the overall arc of the story if you will is that man is evil there's nothing you can do to change that that's the dogma. No matter what happens with the main character, he's going to make the same decision every single time over and over again, and you're going to end up in the same loop over and over again, and that's what happens. Okay, so, like, that I think ties I, to the game. So I think that's kind of where they were... In my mind, that's where they were going with that. The Seven Deadly Sins is that... You know, it was just an easy way like yeah. for them to show, like... Like you said, man, man is evil, 
and, and that's really it. <laughs> so what, what I think is in the writer's room, they're all sitting down there around the, around the table and they have their snacks and they have everything like that. And they're sitting there and then they're looking at it and they're like, okay, let's look back at the game Dragon's Dogma. What are the good things that happened in the narrative of that game? Crickets, crickets, crickets. Oh, f- we got to come up with something. <laughs> we have seven episodes. Yeah, seven deadly sins. Okay, uh, this first one's going to be about this. This is going to be greed. This is going to be lust. Uh, we're going to do this. This will work. This will work. Yes, this will gr- Like, do we have any ideas for an overall narrative that we could make it seem like Dragon's Dogma? Uh, he has to kill the dragon. Okay, that's all we've got. Okay. <laughs> Literally, I think that's what it was. And then they're just like, okay, let's make this work. Uh, second season, we'll come up with something different, uh, depending on how many episodes we have. Three, it's going to be the triad. Father, son, holy ghost, dragon. Nah. Yeah, no, it was, like, very discombobulated. Like, even though every single episode was tied into De- Seven Daily Sins, like, his journey along the way, like, from one episode to the next, I'm like, how the hell did he even get there? You know, right. like, what, what the heck just happened here? And then, like... He goes from climbing up a mountain to, like, wandering through a cave to the next episode having sex with a succubus. I'm like, <laughs> what in the Like, how did we get to this? And then, like, the last episode, he's all of a sudden with the f***ing dragon. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. none of this made any sense. But, like, so that's kind of my way of trying to, like, tie everything together. Where they just, like, had this, okay, each episode's going to be a sin. Each episode's going to be man committing this sin. Each episode is. Mm-hmm. And then the end with the dragon's, like, conversation with... Ethan, uh, was him kind of trying to explain that. Like, you know, like, he had a choice, but, like, he didn't really, because he's a man, and his man, he's controlled by this rage, he's controlled by his desires and these different manly sins that he can commit, and no matter what happened, that was going to be his choice, the dragon knew it, and that's the that's the arc and the loop of the story over and over again. See, Ethan, Ethan got to skip all of the hours of walking between the seven main quests of the show that we had to go through in the game. Correct. That's what that's what happened. He had narrative teleportation. Oh yes. man, I wish I had narrative teleportation in the game. <laughs> One thing in the narrative that really disappointed me was I was expecting some revelation or something to happen with the pawns. Like I expected Hannah to grow or change or to learn like the pawns were secretly evilly manipulating the dragon or the situation or Ethan. And there just wasn't anything. Like she's just a uh, common stalwart companion faithfully yeah. following him she's samwise gamgee yeah so ethan was frodo is that why you hate him so much i mean he sucks just as hard as frodo but he's less disappointing than frodo wow, wow. that's saying a lot. <laughs> that is saying you really hate frodo <laughs> frodo is my m- most like loathed character in all of fiction <laughs> It took an entire team to get him right to the precipice. He was right there. All he had to do was go, plink. They should have carried Bilbo. <laughs> sure. So I have a question. For some reason in the anime, like all of the people are just these crazy, flawed, end up killing each other things in the anime. Like, does any of that actually happen in the game that much? Like, no. the Duke and Duchess, maybe, from what you said. But, like, other than that, are there, like, just these random turns where all of a sudden this guy that you really liked, oh, he, he's greedy now, he's just going to kill his best friend. Uh, oh, this guy found out he has power, he's just going to stab his wife. I mean, like, does any of that crap actually happen in the game, or was this just something that they went crazy with the just, whole idea? Just something where they went crazy with the whole idea. 
it was just so stupid. It's like they start to develop actual characters, and then they just randomly kill each other. And it's just like, okay, I guess this is happening. Yeah, like the guy killing his wife, like that had punch to me. Like that had yeah. emotional weight to it. But like the dude stabbing his childhood best friend, that did not. And it was like, right. It, I guess it desensitized me, or maybe I was just ready for the show to be over because I openly loathed this entire <laughs> experience. I don't know. I, there weren't many times in the games. Frankly, I don't know why this anime exists. Like, I don't know why they made it. If there isn't like a tie to the game, Casey, when you explain the endless loop that is man, that kind of ties to the game, and I can kind of see the connection there. But that's very nebulous. Yeah, and other than the fact that you know it, it starts the same and evidently doesn't end the same. I don't know if the game ends this way. I don't know if you get to no, it doesn't fight the dragon at all in the end of the game. But like, it starts the same where you get your heart ripped out by a dragon, and then you start your your quest. But other than that. Yeah, from what I've seen so far, there's zero similarity to what I've experienced in the game. Yeah, I mean, there's some similarities with the ending. Spoiler alert, if we haven't turned you off on this show yet. Uh, spoiler alert, at the end of the anime, the protagonist becomes the dragon. He kills the dragon, and then he becomes the dragon. Then he's destined to kill man until a man rises up and kills yeah. him. In the game, it's a little bit different. You Spoiler alert for the game, you encounter the dragon, and the dragon gives you a choice to make. And... Based on that choice, there are a couple of different outcomes, but if you decide to fight the dragon and you overcome him, the dragon's dead. The world physically changes because of that. And then, uh, like, the dragon's gone, you go on with your life, and if you progress far enough, you basically face God, and you have the choice to fight God. And if you if you defeat God, you become God, and then the game loops over. If you fail to kill God, if God kills you, then you become another great dragon. And that's how the dragons perpetuate in this world. Like, every dragon you encounter is apparently a fallen arisen that took on God and lost. So Interesting. So does the game change the name from Dragon's Dogma to Dragon's Gonma after you beat it? No. And then is it God's Dogma when you have to fight him? No. And, and they then don't, God's Gonma? They don't use God. They call him a Seneschal, S-E-N-E-S-C-H-A-L. I don't know what that word means. I didn't look it up. It's like a servant. Oh. Servant of the world? Interesting. Huh. So, I don't know. Game and anime are different. I like the game very much. I I like the anime far less. Do you guys have other thoughts or takeaways on the overall narrative? I mean, I I liked the first episode and the seventh episode. Uh, The stuff in between was hit or miss. Uh, I liked some of the characters, but then I soon realized that if you start to like those characters, they're just going to be killed off anyway, so it didn't really matter to get attached to it. Um, it, 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 I, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't phenomenal. It wasn't great. It, it would not go anywhere near my like pantheon of top five anime that I, I love. Uh, and maybe this is the problem with my own limited experience with anime. All the anime I've watched is really good, and the animated shows in an anime style are also very good. Yeah. Uh, but for me, this was just this was far below, and I honestly can't recommend it for like anyone. Not fans of the games, not fans of like fantasy cartoons. Like for me, it just I liked the last episode, and I thought the twist at the end was interesting. But yeah. for me, it just it fell short in every measure. Yeah, similar to, you know, like, I don't have a lot of experience, as you said, with with anime or animated shows, too, for that matter. But, uh, so I don't have a whole lot to measure it up against. But my overall enjoyment of, of slogging through it wasn't that great, so. And it was three thing. and a half hours. I, I know, which is not. It's like a long movie. Yeah, which, 
thank God for that, you know. But you know, other other than you know, if you're if you're a fan of cartoon boobs, that you know, you should watch this show. But other than that, there's no reason to really watch it. And which, like, none of it actually. They like <laughs> yeah, the succubus a- part was probably the only part where it actually needed cartoon boobs. Yeah, the rest everything was just else was kind of like, like yeah, it was like- just like, <laughs> all right, we've 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 gone three episodes. We gotta show <laughs> now. Like we just gotta show them. <laughs> Yep. Boobs. Boobs. <laughs> it's, ow. So many weird choices. Well, it's interesting that it's a relatively short experience, but neither of you went full Brian on it, so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was easy to just throw on, like, doing whatever. I mean, it, it wasn't something that needed complex thought about what was going on, so it could easily be on while I was working or playing Dragon's Dogma. Like, I mean... It was one of those things where, like, oh, I'm getting to a good part. Pause, pause the game, watch it. Um, but yeah, it was it was nothing phenomenal. It did not do a good job of, of of really grabbing my attention, except for I'd say the first and seventh episodes. Yeah, I will say that it was definitively better than Blade Runner. You've never <laughs> seen Blade Runner, Tom. You've never seen it. That is uh, that is a true statement, and that is why I'm comfortable putting it above Blade Runner. <laughs> Oh, for another time, Tom, for another time. Looking forward to it. That is our show on Dragon's Dogma. Next month, we are going to do a show on D&D board games. It'll be the same crew back again. We are going to play Temple of Elemental Evil and Waterdeep, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Anything you guys want to get off your chest before we get out of here tonight? No. I don't think so. They don't call you the best color guys in the industry for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Outside is Overrated. Please review us on your favorite podcast platform and consider supporting our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash OIO. For Joey at Hobbybox Burns and Casey at Dr. Underscore Casey, I'm Tom Sidlogic at Tom Sidlogic OIO. We'll talk to you next month. Stay inside, kids.